This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. A pleasant good afternoon and welcome in to Grant and Danny just after 2 o'clock. February 5th, 2024, Super Bowl week has arrived. I am live in Las Vegas at Radio Row getting ready for the madness. Danny is back in our Half Street studios. It's going to be a weird, choppy start to the show. Just to lay the land out for you here in the next half hour, we're going to take a couple of quick segments to clear out some spots. Here's why. The Dan Quinn press conference comes your way at 2.30 today, right after our dentist appointment. He's being introduced out in Ashburn, so Dan Quinn will be meeting the media. You will hear the entire press conference at 2.30. So a little bit of a quirky start to the show between now and then, but what matters is we got Dan Quinn live as he and Adam Peters address the media for a half hour starting at 2.30, and things will start to sound a whole lot more normal from that time on. We're giving away Caps tickets today at 4 ahead of the Beltway Blitz. We've got tickets to Steve Trevino at 6 o'clock. We will be very, very busy. A lot of great guests all week long out here from Radio Row. Danny, how is Washington, D.C. this morning? We are doing just fine, and Danny likes sour candy. The weather's gorgeous, my friend. You picked a great time to leave. Uh, a lot has changed since you and I last spoke. Friday night, we were hanging out in front of a bunch of listeners. Huge thank you to everybody that came out and those that made it possible. The Fan versus uh, 980 Live, which was great, a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, so a couple of hirings have happened now, it seems like. And as you mentioned, we'll hear from Dan Quinn in a moment. Yeah, I will get into some of the fun of getting out here to Vegas and give you some of the deets on just how crazy this week looks like it's going to be. I just think the league should have the Super Bowl here as often as possible. Driving down the strip last night, Danny, the sphere, which is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's just iconic looking. The tech, however they did that, is amazing. Every city should have something like it. It was rotating between the team helmets. You had uh, the, the Super Bowl you know, logo uh, all over Allegiant Stadium, which I didn't realize that hockey puck stadium the Raiders play in. It's basically like one big ribbon board on the front. So they can just rotate all kinds of different images. It, pretty amazing. Everything looks great. I just bumped into John Taffer from Bar Rescue as I was sitting down to do the show. It's going to be one of those weeks. It's kind of cool. So uh, the guests will be very, very good. And the football conversation leading up to 49ers and Chiefs is going to be outstanding. But as you said, let's start with the news. And that is that Dan Quinn's begun filling out his staff. We've talked a lot about how critical the offensive coordinating hire was going to be. And it became more vital to hit on that coordinating hire when you decided to go with a defensive head coach. And Quinn has tabbed 44-year-old Cliff Kingsbury, the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, as his offensive coordinator. Four seasons in Arizona, the results were bad as a head coach, 28-37-1. I'll be honest, Danny, I don't really care that much about that. Mm -hmm. I'm not hiring him to be a head coach. What I care more about is the offenses that he's run in college and in the pros. 
most notably in the three years before the Kyler Murray injury when everything went off the rails in his fourth year with the Cardinals, the offense ranked 16th, 14th, and 15th. There's not really a signature season or anything you point to where you go, this guy gets it, look at this unit. But he has worked with some very talented young quarterbacking stars in college. He was the head coach for Patrick Mahomes. He was the offensive coordinator for Johnny Manziel this past season. He worked with Caleb Williams at USC, who he's very close with. That's going to lead to some rumors, I'm sure, in the months ahead. In the NFL, he worked with a dual threat in Kyler Murray. Think Jaden Daniels, perhaps. He's obviously running the air raid offense like Phil Longo at North Carolina did with both Sam Howell and Drake May. So there's all kinds of ties here that make this really intriguing. Yeah, the you know you wonder, what did you learn in your first couple of go-rounds, right? Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's been through the ringers. You said as a college coach, as a coordinator at Texas Tech, then a head coach, and you know then the, the, the big job in, in Arizona as a head guy. Now kind of moving on, what have you what have you gained? How have you evolved as an offensive mind? I mean, one of the things to note, they lined up in a shotgun a bleep ton when he was in charge there in Arizona. Is that a because you have Kyler Murray thing, or is that because that's what you prefer to do? A lot of questions I have ultimately for what this offense is going to look like come the fall. Yeah, the bleep ton that Danny just referenced to give some Almost context, 90%, right? Uh, it was 88%. In the shotgun, and you, you just want younger quarterbacks to have the ability to get under center and operate out of play action. It helps in the running game. It helps be more multiple. I think his oak line hire is going to be massive. One of the reasons I was so excited about Ben Johnson was that the rumor was wherever he ended up, Hank Fraley, the O-line coach, who's got local ties in Gaithersburg, was going to come with him. And I think it's so pertinent for the offensive line coach to help you handcuff your run in your pass and play action concepts. And it's something I'm not sure that, frankly, Cliff Kingsbury did a whole lot well in regards to in Arizona. And I think the good thing about having failed as a head coach is you you know where your shortcomings are. You know where you've got to improve. And that's going to be somewhere near the top of the list from a scheme standpoint, from a play-calling standpoint. He's not the only coaching staff hire that's been made, though. As we get ready for the Dan Quinn press conference at 2.30 today, he's also going to tell you about his new defensive coordinator, Joe Witt Jr., who's coming over from Dallas. We'll discuss Witt next right here on Grant and Danny, taking you up to the press conference from Ashburn Live at 2.30 on The Fan. Grant and Danny on The Fan. I'm live at Radio Row in Las Vegas. Danny is in our Half Street Studios. We're going to have the Dan Quinn press conference live at 2.30 from Ashburn right here. So forgive the choppiness of the early part of this hour, but we're structuring uh, this hour for you so that you can hear that entire press conference uninterrupted. So make sure you're right here at 2.30 to hear from Adam Peters and Dan Quinn. Quinn was hired in large part because he's going to be able to put together a quality staff. We were just talking about Cliff Kingsbury being the hire uh, as his offensive coordinator. We're going to get into Cliff Kingsbury from all angles coming up at 3 o'clock today when we have a little more time to let our hair down. I'll just say, Danny, because we kind of gave the particulars without much opinion a few minutes ago, I'm whelmed by the hire. You know, a lot of people have been asking me uh, out here, it's a big talking point today, like, what do you think? I'm fine with it. I don't really have a strong take either way. I don't love it, certainly. I don't hate it. Uh, Kingsbury is very close with Sean McVay. He's tied into some really good staffs in football. My hope would be that he's able to pluck some young climbing position coaches from some of the really good kitchens that make the best food in the NFL right now and bring a couple of those guys over to layer talent underneath of him. 
I do like the fact, too, that because he failed as a head coach, as I said, and he's built a staff before as a head coach, but also he knows where he fell short and what he has to do better. I think that could be a plus as well. And I think that he's a guy that is not on the fast track to getting a head coaching job. You know, if you went and got Clint Kubiak, you're almost certainly losing him if things go well next season. Same with a guy like Brian Greasy. Kingsbury could very well get head coaching interviews next year if you draft Drake May or Jaden Daniels, and they're awesome. Uh, he may get a job, but he's not one of these guys that is like two-thirds of the way to that job already. This is a reclamation opportunity for him, and he's probably a couple of years out. So, so those are some of the things I like about Kingsbury, who I think looks the part. He's 44. He's handsome. Uh, everybody has kind of wanted him to be the next great thing in football. The production hasn't really been there, but he's extremely well-connected. He's worked with a lot of quality, talented young quarterbacks, and I like that as well. Well, he was the ultimate heat check for the do you know Sean McVay or do you look like Sean McVay or you know kind of whatever. Someone that hadn't really been that productive as a head coach, right? Had, had lost a bunch of games with Pat Mahomes uh, as his quarterback at, at Texas Tech. And, you know, the – the thing I've heard a bunch is that he failed upwards to, to get that gig. Maybe. I, I don't know about all that. I'm sure he interviews very well. He, he comes off and sells himself as an offensive juggernaut, a genius. Um, and, it's you know, so he has that McVay cologne to him. I'm with you. I, I'm actually whelmed. I don't have a terribly strong reaction either way. Um, the things that I like are I would wager, again, as you said, he's probably not in tremendous demand just yet to be a head coach. You turn in two years of pretty good assignments as an offensive coordinator – you will be again. You'll get back on the good list, et cetera, and you can be able to sell that, hey, look at how much I've learned, look at how much I've grown, look at how much my schemes, designs have evolved over a couple of years. The results have been kind of mixed. Right now, the thing that I love the most in offense, he's not really majoring in. Again, we, we talked about this. Now, who knows what it's going to be like with, with a new quarterback that's different than someone that's 5'7", five, 5'8", five, like, like Kyler Murray is. Uh, I'm sure changing a little bit, probably 5'10", but whatever. You line up in the shotgun because of that guy's height. That makes sense to me. If we get a 6'4", you know, uh, square-jawed, chiseled monster to uh, – I'd like him dropping back a bunch. I want play action, married to run games, et cetera. I don't want necessarily to live out of the shotgun. We just saw that with Biennemi. I'm basically enamored with that Ben Johnson-style offense, right, where everything looks like everything and defenses are on their heels. That's not what he majors in. That doesn't mean offense can't work. There's a bunch of different ways to skin a cat. So I've got questions. Um, overall, my excitement level, you know, is kind of middle of the pack, 5 out of 10 – doesn't mean I'm against it, but I'm not, you know, blown away. I can't believe they got this guy. Yeah, offensively speaking, uh, if you look at his units in Arizona, they ranked 16th, 14th, and 15th in the three years prior to that final season. And I, I just kind of give him a pass on that because Kyler got hurt, and I think they used right. three or four quarterbacks. Colt McCoy got hurt. They were just starting you and me, at, basically, at the QB position. But very middle of the pack, very middling. Passing games ranked 21, 18, and 7 in the three years before Murray tore his ACL. Uh, if you look at you know the, the results with Mahomes when he was at Texas Tech, you had one of the great quarterbacks to ever live in college, didn't win a whole lot. So he takes a lot of heat for those types of things. I care way less about that than is he a quarterback whisperer? Can this guy get a lot out of a little? We don't know. Like, did he do a better job with Kyler Murray than the average NFL coach might have? Is Patrick Mahomes better off or Caleb Williams better off as a prospect because he worked with those guys in college? That's what I care about. I do think, by the way, that if at number two, whoever they take, and let's say just for the sake of the conversation, it's Jaden Daniels. If Daniels has a C.J. Stroud-esque first season, 
which is a tall order. That's the greatest rookie year we've ever seen. Then it, it stands to reason, and it goes without saying, that the team's going to be pretty good. And I think that he could get a head coaching job next year. We just saw a cycle where teams wanted offensive minds, and there weren't enough of them out there. So a guy like Kingsbury, unlike Slowick, who might not be ready in Houston, he's been a head coach, he's built a staff, he's plugged in. He probably could get a job next year. But that's where he needs to build a staff and layer behind him. I think you probably do have two seasons to try to groom some of that talent. The other coordinating hire, and they'll talk about this in the presser, we're going to have it live in eight minutes coming up at 2.30, was Joe Witt Jr., who's coached the DBs with the Cowboys in three seasons under Dan Quinn in Dallas, three Pro Bowls, an All-Pro Two of the last three seasons, one of his DBs led the league in interceptions, Danny. His resume is tough to poke holes in. Now, he's never been a coordinator, mm-hmm. obviously not a former head coach like Kingsbury, but as a DBs coach, he's had outstanding statistical results, and this is the third straight job where Quinn has brought him with him. Atlanta, Dallas, and Washington, I think he would tell you this is a sharp guy ready for this opportunity. He's been in the NFL since 07, so I'm excited to see as a coordinator, obviously he'll live in Quinn's shadow. Quinn's going to run much of the defense. One of the things I want to hear at this presser at 2.30 is mm-hmm. who's going to call the defense? Does, does Quinn want to do that, or is that going to be uh, Joe Witt, who we just brought with him? We will be breaking down everything we hear from Dan Quinn on the other side, but the press conference is minutes away. You're going to hear it live at 2.30. Make sure you're right here on Grant and Danny. Any moment, Dan Quinn and Adam Peters, along with owner Josh Harris, are going to sit down at the desk in the front of the room and speak to the assembled media and all the fans listening all over the DMV. The Quinn introductory press conference moments away. Danny, what do you expect and want to hear? This is a great time for Dan Quinn. He's good at this part. Now, he's a good defensive coach, too, as well. And he's got, you know, I think something to prove in terms of being in charge of the whole thing. But he's going to get you fired up today. This is the, I wanted this so bad, no one's going to work harder, time to grind, etc. I want to know, and this is hard to answer in an opening press conference, but what's going to be different this time than a handful of years ago in, in Atlanta? Why is 2.0 Dan Quinn so different, better, more capable, ready to be in charge uh, than 1.0 Dan Quinn was? That's natural, right? You grow and you go through your experiences and you get better and you, you, you capitalize on those failures and shortcomings. And the new version of you hopefully is better than you were a handful of years ago regardless of the walk of life that you happen to be in. So that's my biggest question is, why is this different than Atlanta was? Yeah, I'm very curious to see what they say about the search and how careful they are about that. Do they just come out and say point blank, we wanted Dan Quinn all along, everything you heard wasn't true, this was our guy circuit to circuit, we love Dan Quinn, or do they kind of leave that in the rear view? It doesn't matter anymore at this point, Mm. they've moved on, he's the head coach, and this is all about the future. I really like everything I've seen out of Adam Peters so far. I mean, he's going to be excellent at drafting and developing and, you know, picking players and free agency and in the draft. That is the hope. But I like the fact that last night he and his wife were out on the runway meeting Dan Quinn and his wife when he landed. And you heard Quinn say, I didn't think you guys would be here. It's pretty late in in the evening. He's been working all day. But it was important. This pairing, this tandem is significant, obviously. And for him to be out on the runway to give him a big hug and say, nah, man, we're here for you guys and for the two wives as well to, you know, side by side have uh, the, the first conversation that they had. I just thought that that familial 
greeting said a lot about the class that this organization is going to be run with. Now, I want to know if Dan Quinn plans on calling defensive plays or not. Mm-hmm. Now, the sneaky thing about his time with the Falcons was his defenses were not that good when he was a head coach. He's been exceptional as a coordinator. Is Joe Witt going to call some of those defensive plays? And then Wycliffe Kingsbury. You know, how did we get to the point where he was the right guy? I think that's the biggest hire, the biggest decision, probably other than the number two overall pick he's going to make in his first calendar year running this team. Why did you just land on Kingsbury? Yeah, time to hit the Let's ground Let's go runner, to right? the podium right now out in Ashburn. Um, <clears throat> so good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being here today. Uh, it's an incredible day for Washington football. Uh, I'd like to start first by thanking uh, my partners, Mitch, Mark, uh, Irvin Johnson, David Blitzer, and the rest of the ownership group for uh, supporting me. And also uh, Rick Spielman and Bob Myers. Uh, they were incredible during the process. So thanks, thanks you all for the help. Um, <clears throat> today, when, we, when Adam and I were last here, we told you we were going to go find the best leader for Washington football, someone that we felt would lead Washington to be an elite franchise. And Dan, I'm so excited <laughs> that we're here together. <clears throat> uh, and welcome to Washington. And so after a thorough process, we'd love to introduce you to the city here. Um, Stacy, welcome to Washington. And on behalf of the city and the DMV, thank you both for choosing uh, to be on this mission with us in support of the city. So, Dan, you've gotten down to work quickly. All I know is, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we got all together Friday, and then uh, over the weekend, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, an incredible offensive coordinator, and Joe Witt. <clears throat> incredible defense of mine uh, have joined our franchise and obviously we're very excited about those two individuals I'll let Dan uh, describe them but that's what it takes <clears throat> it takes being able to attract the best people uh, to create a unit to create a culture to create a system to create a team where you can then recruit uh, the best players on the field you get when you get the best off the field when you get the best team off the field you get the best team on the field on behalf of Commanders fans, I am thrilled to welcome you, Dan, Stacy, uh, Joe, and Cliff to the city of Washington. And fans, <clears throat> with your support, the future of Washington football is bright. Thank you for uh, your support. It's because of you all that everyone is here. Now I'll turn it over to Adam. Thanks, Josh. Well, when we sat, set out to hire the next head coach of the Washington Commanders, we wanted to, I said earlier, we wanted to hire the best leader for our team. And we went through a, a really thorough process. As you all know, we spoke with a ton of great candidates. But our process led us to the decision that Dan Quinn was the perfect man for the job. Coach Quinn has all the qualities we're looking for. He's an unquestionably one of the best leaders in the NFL. You can ask anybody who's been around him, coaches, players. He's a top-notch communicator, an excellent teacher and developer, not only of players, but of coaches. And he's smart. He's driven, and he's really more than all, anything a phenomenal person and just a great, great person who's going to lead this team the right way. Um, he's one of the best defensive minds in the NFL. He's proven that time and time again. He can build elite coaching staff, which, which Josh alluded to. He's already started. He, he attracts talent because of the type of person and man that he is. Um, he maximizes that talent, and, and that's what we're doing. We're building a great staff, and he's, he's really kicking it off really well. 
he and I have a shared vision that we're going to build a team that with the play style and the identity that you guys will all love to watch. The fans of the Commanders, not only just here in the DMV, but all over the world will love watching Dan's team play. Um, Dan and I are going to be in lockstep in everything we do. We already are, and we will continue to be. We will keep the team and staff connected. He has a track record of tying building, buildings together, and he's going to build, tie this whole building together from the lunchroom to the meal room to the weight room to the equipment room to the locker room. And that, that's how we're going to do it, and we're going to all be moving in the same direction. So I can't wait to work with Dan. We, we're going to embark on a really, really fun journey together. This is going to be a great and important offseason. We've already started, but the work is just beginning. So with that, I want to hand it over to our new head coach, Dan Quinn. All right. Man, this is, uh, this is such an awesome moment. And what an outstanding privilege and honor and absolute joy to be sitting here uh, beside these outstanding men and joining them in this opportunity to, to have the vision of this historic franchise. So thank you to, to Josh and to Adam and to everybody in the organization and the ownership group that's, uh, that's been a part of this. So spoiler alert, you'll hear me say often, uh, be where your feet are. And actually, I try not to say it. I do try to live it. And I'm pretty good at it, too, with one exception. Over the past few years, there's five words that have probably tested my feet and my head if I get another shot. And as a coach, you prepare for it, you study for it, and there's some lessons that you can't study for. There's lessons that you just have to live. And sometimes through success and sometimes also through adversity, but once you learn those lessons, all you want to do is grab them and run and prove it. And uh, so let me tell you, I am ready to run and prove it. Run like hell. And uh, I'm a little older, maybe a little more chrome, and uh, hopefully a little bit wiser. And, uh, but I'm also incredibly grateful uh, for all of that that has led to my feet being here. And actually, back to here, um, although I grew up a Jersey kid watching the NFC East, um, for a long time, and, and uh, that's what football was to me. That's where my first love of it came. But I also spent a good deal of my 20s here. Uh, I went to Salisbury University, about two hours south of here. And the best part of that was my wife, Stacy. And so that was the best call I ever made to say, hey, you want to go out? So she said, yeah. And I said, all right. So 29 years later, here we are. She is my ride or die and has been with me on this uh, football life that is ups and downs. And, uh, and it's an absolute awesome life that we share together. So I also uh, did football and track there, and uh, I also started my coaching career in Virginia. So my first coaching career was at, uh, first coaching job was at William & Mary, and uh, two guys on the team right now, you'll know their names, Mike Tomlin and Sean McDermott. So Mike was a senior wide receiver, so he said, all right, I'll pick you up tonight, we're going to the fraternity party. I said, all right, this coaching gig's pretty good. You know, like I get to still do what I like to do. So next thing, uh, Sean was a sophomore uh, DB, and relationships like those are so valuable because in this league, um, you know, it's hard. And so having guys that you can lean on uh, for a long time, that's it. So uh, those guys, too. And I also coached at VMI. So in my early 20s, Virginia was a big part. So Stacey and I, we know where we are. And uh, we know who you are. And we know what this franchise means to you and uh, what it will take to get it back to where it deserves to be. I know you're just starting to know me, and that's going to take some time because building trust, it always does. But I can't wait to start earning it. And that includes the players, 
It includes the staff, every single man, woman in this organization, and each and every fan, because that is who makes up the entire Washington Commanders team, all of us. And that's awesome because I'm going to give myself a little grace and allow one swear word here because I've done a pretty good job so far. I haven't had any people. And these guys here, these are some really good people. And uh, I cannot wait to get it rocking here. I can't wait. And so we'll hit the ground running. There's lots to do. And, uh, but I want to let you know, man, I've been waiting on this moment. And uh, so to be here with you guys today, I cannot wait to get this thing rocking. So with all that said, let's begin. On Kime, ESPN, you said, if I get another shot, the lessons you learned, what are some of the key lessons that you learned to apply, that you can apply here? Yeah, that's awesome one, John. I think first and foremost, um, in leaving there, I wanted to make sure I did a 360 to find, you know, what would be some potential blind spots, you know, that I did in, in a good way of trying to take on too much at times. And so that's why for me, coming into, you know, when I was looking, to, if I got another shot, there were a couple things that I wanted to find. One you know, was from the ownership side, a team that support, you know, the general manager side to be in lockstep and have a partner with. And then the third part, you know, was like a fan base that was really wanting to go get after it. The lessons for me was, man, be right. You know, it's the players and the team. And it came from a good place of trying to help and solve problems. But make sure, keep the main thing, the main thing, John. And uh, I had some time to test that in Dallas. And so that was good for me to go and do that and go through that process because I'm a much stronger coach today than when I took over, you know, years back in Atlanta. And so, like I said earlier, man, you, you want to run with those lessons and go prove it. And the best competitive moments in my life have come when you had to go prove it. And uh, that's what I want to apply. The other thing I would say is um, just having gone through the process with a bunch of people, uh, you know, Dan came in with a real vision for um, how to build a cohesive staff that work together. Uh, you know, I think it is more than just one person. Uh, it's a front office that works together uh, r with everything, analytics, sports science, player development, player selection, and then it's a coaching staff that brings a lot of both leadership and culture, but also play calling and innovation. Uh, and 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 Dan really had all that in his head. He had a plan, and uh, he's got a few more. You know, you saw this weekend, but he's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. Uh, and uh, you know, so it was really impressive. John Kime, ESPN. You're listening to the introductory press conference of Dan Quinn in Ashburn. At what point were you sold that Dan is the guy? And you obviously probably known him for a while or knew of him. So what point were you sold that he is the right guy for here? Every time we spoke with Dan, it became more and more clear that he was the guy. And we interviewed him twice, and both times it's like we're speaking the same language. And it was really, really cool. Had a great connection, had a great shared vision. So... It was almost right away that I knew Dan would be the great coach for us. Yeah. Hi, Nick Jafala with the Washington Post. Um, I guess this is for Adam and Josh, first of all. I know you guys have been through various coaching searches at past stops, but working together on this one, did anything surprise you about this process? I mean, look, obviously uh, the NFL has its own unique uh, approach, its own unique rules. It's a very thorough process. Um, certainly um, there are um, – 
times where you're allowed to talk to people and not allowed to talk to people. So what that does is it creates, you know, a longer process. Uh, and um, it was a very, so it was very thorough. Um, and, and so, um, you know, and then it was great working with Adam. I got to see him in action. Uh, I got to see all the relationships that he had around the league. Um, I got to see how prepared he was coming into the coaching uh, search. And then, you know, obviously uh, how he uh, bonded with candidates and how he bonded with coaching candidates. And so all that uh, really reflected well on Adam, and I was very excited to be working with him uh, through the process. Yeah, for me, Nikki, it was it's all new to me. So there's all real surprising. Obviously, there's a lot of different rules you have to go through. Um, the thing that really stood out to me is is having a thorough process leads you to the right person. And that that's really the big thing. I'm not I'm getting Dan. That's that's what happened. And for Dan, um, you've you've had interviews in I think each of the last two off seasons. What made this the right time for you to make this move and with this team? You know, Nikki, I thought um, coming in, um, you know, as a coach who has done it before, um, I knew then what I was looking for. You know, I think when you're first going through it as a first time, you, you got to go get it and you got to go take it. After you've been through the experience, you want to make sure that you can align it exactly like you want to do to go kick ass. And so that's what I was, you know, looking for specific markers because if I wasn't going to find them, then I wasn't going to do it. And I desperately wanted to, but if the markers weren't in line to say, hey, this alignment between ownership, general manager, the club, um, I wouldn't have. So when this one was here, um, it was please call because <laughs> this one um, is different and this franchise has a historic mark on the NFL. And so that was different. I knew that was different. And so um, once I knew ownership, I knew general manager, organization, like everything checked, Nikki. And so it was uh, the one that like, was a, you know, a flashing light to me to, to say, this is, this is the moment, this is the one. Coach David Aldridge with The Athletic. Welcome to DC. Thanks, David. A um, couple of questions for you. One. As you looked at the personnel on this team, what kind of stood out to you as, I can work with that, I can make that work? Yeah, I thought, um, first side, I'll start with the defense, because that's, you know, unfortunately, that's sometimes where my eyes go first. But I would say, uh, man, was I impressed, you know, by the inside of the defense, you know, with the defensive tackles and knowing that it starts up front on both sides, man, you know, defensive line and offensive line. So that was the spot that jumped out to me, you know, as the defensive tackles and then the skill, you know, at receiver. And you have to have elite players on the edge for the matchup. So when they come, David, you know, that's when you got to go attack. So those would have been the two things that jumped out to me. I certainly, you know, played against the club. So I know about more of the offensive players and game planning and studying. But uh, this receiving group, you know, really had skill and they would test you and push you and find matchups. And so that to me of guys, uh, that's where it stood out to me first. Uh, number two, in, in our personal lives, our spouses always provide this role. But in your professional life, who is the person that tells you that's not a good idea? Yeah. That, that you listen to. Yes, and I think you need that, right? You have to have somebody that can see around the corners and knowing and protecting your blind spots. And so when I referred to that person, um, well, what I was looking for, I was really referring to Adam to say, in this relationship, it's built on trust and we go through it together. But in football, you know, the best of the best have this connection um, rock solid and, you know, at the core because they deal with things that no one else really does. And so uh, when you win, more 
you know, adulation when you lose, it's harder. So having the person who's the partner to go through those experiences with is really important. And so I don't know if Bob Myers is here, but Bob and Steve had given us a little insight. I had known Steve as a friend and I hadn't known Bob, but I saw what good looked like between a head coach and a general manager, not just, you know, and there's other sports I've seen it obviously as well, but I wanted to see we could do that for him and I a goal years from now to say, Dan and Adam, they did it the best that anybody's done in professional sports. And that's a super high bar, but that's the standard that we want to get it to because at the end of it, it's not about the credit or what it is. It's just about us over the long term kicking ass for a long time together. And we both share that vision. So um, on every organization and every team, you need that. And so that's why when I said why that was so damn important to me to find the right general manager to partner up with because they're the ones that have to be shoulder to shoulder with you through the good and through the adversity as well. And so each person has that. And Stacey is that no matter what. So she's first. And she knows football pretty good too. But professionally, it, it's Adam. Hey, guys. JP Finley with NBC4 and 106.7 The Fan. Um, Dan, this is a question for you. Your, your records as a defensive coordinator speak for themselves. It's all very impressive. When you were coaching in Atlanta, some of those defensive numbers weren't there. How do you take on your, your second chance here, what you do differently as a DC versus a head coach? Yeah, isn't that the best? That's, uh, that's one of the lessons to take on, to say, man, I've got to make sure, like, you know, after doing the 360 of leaving Atlanta, of spreading myself too thin. And so where I need to be is right there with the offense, right there with the defense and the special teams, and not allow outside things to, not outside things in the organization, just more things to go. So. Uh, the main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's the players and the team. And that's why, you know, like I'll lean on Adam so hard. I didn't want anything other than that, you know, to be right there doing it. So good news, I had some chances over the last three years to do that and to prove that and to delegate and make sure I could keep the main thing and focus right where it needed to be. And that's when the best results come. So uh, you can't turn back the clock, but you do have to learn the lesson. And that's what I wanted to make sure when I left Atlanta, it was during the middle of the season. And so you have time to reflect. It's lonely. It's disappointing. It's depressing. But you don't want to just rinse and repeat. You want to make sure, how do I take this, change it, and then make sure you get to prove it again. And so that was the silver lining in this. Like, I'm a better version of me today than I was, you know, three and four or five years ago. And so that's why I get to prove that. And then this one for Josh and Adam. Throughout the coaching search, it seems like it's been very collaborative. At what point does the collaboration maybe cease a little bit and it becomes more the traditional hierarchy that you talked about building? Or, or will it remain really collaborative throughout? Well, I think it's sort of now. I mean, it's all collaborative. I mean, first of all, you're always going to be collaborative. And, that's, and the alignment amongst the three of us, amongst ownership, uh, obviously coaching and front office is very important. But obviously... Um, you know, I hired, um, or I brought these these two gentlemen are sitting next to me because they know what they're doing, and they're gonna. Adam's gonna run the uh, front office and the football ops, and Dan's gonna run the coaching staff and the on-field uh, operation. And like, you know, I'll be there obviously and be educated and you know make sure that the things going in the right direction. But you know, I'm not. You know, these this is their job, right? So. Um, you know, the collaboration will be there, but obviously um, their ability to operate and do what they do uh, starts today. Yeah, I agree. Um, Conference of Dan Quinn with owner Josh Harris, GM Adam Peters, and Ashburn right now on Grant and Danny. Everything we do, and then with Dan, 
helping him. He's building his staff, so I'm going to help him with that. He's going to help us with finding players. So the collaboration is going to continue through, through perpetuity. It's <laughs> a good UCLA word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. teach that at South term. <laughs> <laughs> This is how smarted here. This is. <laughs> um, hi, uh, Ben Standing with the Athletic. Uh, Dan, welcome to town. Um, f for you, uh, in terms of this new opportunity, how, how do you see yourself? I guess what type of coach are you ultimately going to be? Are you going to be calling plays? Do you see obviously you're, you're familiar with your defensive coordinator? How will sort of that collaboration work as well? Yeah, I think the big thing to to get across, like the essence of a head coach, is to put it all together. It's not to be an offensive coach or a defensive coach or a special teams coach, like. It's everything, and that's what the essence is of the job. It's the chemistry, it's the messaging, it's the play style, it's the attitude, it's the swagger. Like That's my number one job, to make sure all of this comes together. Um, obviously, I cut my teeth on the defensive side, so um, that part's important. But Joe will call the plays on defense, and Cliff will call the plays on offense. And I'll certainly be there. The game management portion is so critical. So I wanted to make sure the best version of me, like I said, is coaching the entire team and making sure our play style is so right that it's a nightmare for teams to play against between the personnel you know, that Adam puts together, the scheme from the coaching side, and then quite honestly for me, the play style to say playing against us is really hard. And the attitude, the speed, the effort, the ball hawking, the tackling, the finishing of blocks, the explosive plays, that's how you know, we create a nightmare to go against. And we're going to work our ass off to do that. But as far as play calling, um, I'll be involved with it, but those guys will call the game. But the essence of this job as a head coach isn't just to be on one side. It's to tie everything together. And that's when I'm at my best. And so that's what I'll do. And uh, for you and Adam, obviously, quarterback is such an important position in this sport. You guys may have the opportunity to draft one in the first round. And Sam Howell is here as well. How much of your conversations were about what happens at quarterback and how, how important is Cliff to whatever it is you guys uh, plan to do with that position? I'll take that one. If you okay. want. Yeah. Yeah. We, really, we just got started, Ben. So we haven't even had discussions yet as the staff with that. Uh, obviously, it's the most important position on the field, and we're going to put a lot of time into it. But as of now, we haven't even gotten started on that one. Sam Fortier with the Washington Post. Welcome to DC. Um, why Cliff and Joe? Well, I think um, I'll take you back a bit. And so when you're getting prepared for this, you don't, you're not sure what job you're going to get. You know, you're, you're, thinking, okay, this you know, opportunity, this opportunity. So it's a little different than being on their side where they were going to select, where on the coaching side, you were going to see where would be a good fit. And the coaching staff would be the fit irregardless of where you went. Okay, so for me, selecting a place that I would be able to potentially coach didn't have to do with did they have a quarterback or cap space or any of that. It was ownership and general manager and fan base and what you could create together because cap space changes, I was looking to say, how could we do something long term to kick ass for a long time and continue to play well, not just because they had won this or won that. So Cliff has always been somebody um, that I've kept up with. Um, years ago, we both coached in college. And uh, we first met each other at a, an award show and just kind of hit it off on that time and then competed against each other. I certainly followed his career you know, through his time at Tech and then into Arizona and competing. And so, in the same way of why I wanted to hire Kyle years ago, like he was hard to go against. He would stretch the field horizontally and vertically and going against Cliff, those same feelings you had. This is going to be tough. Matchups, formation, <coughs> speed, 
shots down the field, aggressiveness, boldness to go. And so as a coach, you were writing down some names, if this is something in your future, that said, if I get that shot, this is somebody I would want to talk to. And so that's where the, the start came from him. Um, we're really pumped that he's going to be a part of it. Obviously, I know people talk about you know his acumen with quarterbacks, and that's proven. But he's also an excellent coach. He's not just you know a guy that's going to be with the quarterbacks the whole time. So I want to make sure I'm clear on that. And then with Joe, um, it's a little different because I had a chance to be shoulder to shoulder with him, you know, over the last three years in Dallas. And through that time, I've just seen the detail, the connection, um, the play style, you know, and so. To play good defense, you better be a good tackling team, and you better know how to take the ball away. And those are two things Joe and, and the units that he was charged with have been excellent at. And uh, I think over the last three years, you know, with, with Joe there, the team had been, you know, at the top of the league in terms of takeaways and defensive touchdowns. If you want to play good defense, you better tackle because there's so. I'm not talking about in the a gap. I'm talking about there's space plays that happen in today's NFL. And so in that space, had he had the technique to go and make tackles where. Uh, guys like Cliff and Kyle and everybody else want to create all this space to say, you know, make it hard. So you better be a good tackling team and you better know how to get the ball away and show good disguises, you know, to make the quarterback have to read the coverages after he has the ball in his hand. And Joe's been exceptional at that through his career. So that's why when those moments come and you want to nail it, uh, you do it and you go for it. And so I appreciate Josh and Adam when the moment came to go be uh, aggressive, um, we were going to go do that. Dan Quinn's press conference in Ashburn. Our reactions to what we're hearing from Josh Harris, Adam Peters, Dan Quinn. Thoughts on the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury. And what do we make of Joe Witt Jr. calling plays, not Dan Quinn? Next on Grant and Danny here on The Fan.
the Dan Quinn introductory press conference in Ashburn is continuing. I want to get you back out to hear the remainder of this press conference. We're going to be giving you our takeaways and our assessments on what we've heard from Josh Harris, Adam Peters, and Dan Quinn. A lot of meat on the bone here. Jotted a bunch of things down to talk about, including who's calling defensive plays, how Quinn decided he wanted Cliff Kingsbury. But let's get you back right now out to the press conference as it continues in Ashburn. Good disguises, you know, to make the quarterback have to read the coverages after he has the ball in his hand. And Joe's been exceptional at that through his career. So that's why when those moments come and you want to nail it, uh, you do it and you go for it. And so I appreciate Josh and Adam when the moment came to go be uh, aggressive, um, we were going to go do that. Can you take us through the timeline, the emotions of interviewing for this job, and then what was the moment like when you got the call? Um, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. It's, uh, you know, you, nobody's ringing. All right, you put your phone back. Is anybody calling? No, they're not calling. So, <laughs> you know, like, is my phone working? Yes, it's still working. <laughs> so I so uh, wanted uh, this moment. And so, like, you know, you're just that. And so Stacey and I took a ride, you know, out in the car, and we don't, we don't ever do that. It's like, come on, let's get out of the house. And so we just, you know, went around. And, and then uh, Thursday night, I think, or whatever it was, a couple nights ago, um, Adam had called and extended it out. And so then you have to kind of wait overnight to, um, to get there, and so you don't sleep much that night. And then it probably doesn't fully hit you until you get your feet on the ground here. And so that was what was really cool about last night. Um, we were not expecting to see Adam and his wife, Jen, there on the tarmac. And so, like, that's brotherhood. That's showing, like, I'm in with you. And that was awesome. So you want the call. You're ready for the call. But it becomes more real when you get there because, you know, you want it. You're there. But when you get it, you're pumped to say, let's, let's go do this. And so Stacy's uh, been with me the whole time through it. And so it's all the good, the bad, and everything in between. And so this football life we live together is fun. But um, it's moments like that that uh, it's hard to stay present and be where your feet are, you know, in those moments. But it's also one of the really cool times to say, man, you get to go prove it and, and kick ass and have fun doing it. And so that's what we plan on doing. Sam, I'll tell you, too, he, he didn't answer when I called. He's playing hard to get. So. <laughs> <laughs> it made me wait so long. I'm not answering the first ring. <laughs> Make him feel a little some way, you know. <laughs> I'm Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post. Uh, for Dan and Adam, you've spoken about uh, a shared vision, speaking the same language. I wonder what that means. Is that in a football way? Like I like the hybrid four three, or what? What? What are some specific examples of sharing that language? I think we can probably start. I'll start it and then yeah. kick it over to you. I think it's probably deeper than scheme, you know, because uh, if you went around to the other 31 teams. There'd be a lot of the same scheme. There's going to be wide zone, this passing concept. It might be a version of cover three or man-to-man. So all 32 play some of that. It's more about the play style and the vision of how to feature players into that play style. And so that's one of the things that I love about coaching is finding unique traits that a player has. And then how could we fit them into a system, into a structure to make it happen? And so. I was fortunate in Dallas, it pushed me further um, into new places, into new things to find, you know, like a guy like Micah Parson, who was, wasn't just a linebacker, and he could do other things. And so Adam and I have been at it together for a long time to know that there's a play style and traits that players have 
of length and speed and ball hawking ability and guys who can finish on offense, whether the explosive play is a screen that can go or a line of scrimmage play, like we both recognize that it does start up front and we know what that looks like and how it you know, fits in together. So we together wanted to make sure that like every time people see us play, they said, man, these guys are fast, they are physical, they absolutely you know, finish at a rate that's not normal. And so he's seen what that's looked like, he's lived it you know, on you know, the three clubs you know, on his way up to see all that. And so having the ability to go to other teams, there is advantage to that because for everybody else, and I've said this to owners before, I remember saying to the Jones, well, we've never been anywhere else. This is like, this is the only way. When you get to other places, you find things that you would take along the way that you get to share about it. And so just this morning, he and I are going through the roster again and, and talking. So it's more of a play style and an attitude and traits than it is a scheme of a 3-4 or 4-3. Football scheme evolves, and but the player side of things and Adam and his staff and their crew of making sure we're always finding ways to feature the unique things that players have. And we'll work really hard to do that here. Yeah, I think you covered it all, but I'll, I'll probably be repeating <laughs> you here a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's that identity, that play style that we're looking for that when you're watching, the, the, we call it the silent tape, when you're watching on TV and you turn the volume down, you just see how fast and physical and aggressive you are on both sides of the ball. Finishers, that type of style is what you're looking for. And whether it's four three three four, however you want to talk wide zone, any type of offense, it's finding those types of guys that, and it's really the type of people that we want to bring in the building and people that love football, who are gonna, you know, give it all for for us on the on the field. So, really throughout the whole process, where it's like we're speaking the same language. It's like I'm interviewing almost a person just like me who thinks the same way about football. So I think that would answer your question, hopefully. That's cool. Yeah. Dan, Chick Hernandez, WSA 9. Um, you're filling out your staff. You've got Cliff Kingsbury as your OC. What happens now to Eric Bieniemy? You know, I had a good visit, uh, Chick. I'm glad that you brought up EB because um, I think he's an excellent coach. And so I had a chance to visit with him uh, today. And so we'll continue that dialogue to go. He's, you know, no longer, we're not going to work together here. But in this coaching brotherhood, I wanted him to know, uh, man, I really respect the work that he's done. And uh, as coaches, you know, we all stay connected even though we're on different teams. So I wish EB nothing but the best, and uh, he'll do a great job. I was really uh, pumped that he took his shot this year and went for it. And so I've got a lot of respect for him. And Josh, you've got two other squads that you, you, have, you manage. <coughs> How different was the search for a head coach here, considering this is a team that you grew up watching and, and what it means to you personally? Look, obviously, growing up in Washington and Chevy Chase, uh, you know, all the history that I experienced uh, with uh, the Joe Gibbs era uh, and all the championships, like, made this uh, super meaningful for me personally in terms of being at this moment and being able to, I think, propel um, this uh, team forward towards our goal, which is to being elite. Like, none of us up here want to do anything but be elite. So I think that this is a big day for me, big day personally. And, um, you know, we're all um, really excited about delivering for this city and for the area. Steve, Steve Weiner, Associated Press. Dan, I know obviously you've got a lot of work to do, but like, how excited are you about being able to pick your own quarterback and kind of mold this roster and, and all the options you have in front of you? Well, I think, number one, I'm pumped because um, you get to do it with people that you want to share this vision with. And 
going into it, you know, like the team has excellent players, and that's job number one to find those unique guys on our team and feature them into the right spot. So before you even get to the draft, there's the own club, you know, here in our own house, you know, to evaluate and handle. And then into free agency, you add some more, and then into the draft. So we're just getting rolling, and this wave is going to keep riding for a long time. But uh, we're just catching it right now. So as we're hitting it, it's first about our club and in-house. Then you expand some more into free agency because that ties into the draft. So conversations with Adam, you know, like, okay, you can spend on free agency here, but there's good depth at the position in the draft there. And that's the strategy and the acumen that he has of knowing which levers to pull based on free agency in the draft. But we want really tough, competitive-ass guys that are going to absolutely go for it. That's the trait. That's the secret sauce. And the more people we have on that, you're going to hear us see competition, talk competition at every corner. And that's what these elite NFL players are. They grew up their whole life competing. So, like, why would we not put them into anything other than this, like, competitive cauldron to roll? And so that's what we plan on doing uh, over and over and over again. But as far as the draft, um, that's a little too far down the line for me right now. <laughs> and Adam, you guys have talked a lot about collaboration. What do you expect Dan's role to be in terms of you guys when you're figuring out those kind of decisions moving forward and, and kind of what kind of input you seek from him? Yeah, we, that, that's the exact environment that I want to be in is being collabor- collaborative with the head coach through every decision that we make. And that's whether that's the draft free agency, we're going to be talking all the time. We may have a door connecting our offices. If that, that's collaboration, right? Yes. So, <laughs> but yeah, so every, every decision we make, we're going to talk. We're not going to make a decision without talking to each other. We're going to come out of that room, which, whichever door we come out yeah. of, with, with the same, uh, same answer in mind. Scott Abraham, ABC7. Dan, welcome to Washington. Thanks, Scott. The word rebuild came up a couple of times during Adam's press conference. Do you view this as a rebuild? And if so, what's the process of, of going through a rebuild? And time frame-wise, how do you want your team to kind of take shape during this rebuild? Your words, not mine. All right. So I'm, I'm really honestly glad that you, that you brought it up. And I know it's a big topic. And I would say this is a recalibrate, you know, finding our north again. And that starts, you know, with our identity of our club. So, no, I, you will not hear me say the word rebuild at all. Um, this is about assessing what we have, how do we add to that, and then how quickly we can accelerate this process together. Now, how do you do that? Connection, staff, off-season, into training camp, and then ultimately putting all these guys to find the best group to help us go play as well as we can, as fast as we can. So uh, there is no timeline on that, um, but we will push it hard uh, to see how good we can get and how fast we can get. But I see it much more as a recalibration to say, let's find our north, own our identity of how we're going to get it on, and then push hard to reach that. And uh, like all things, it takes some trust you know, between teammates, staff, personnel, ownership. But the more connection we have, the faster we'll get there. And uh, there's a lot to get done, but I honestly do not see um, that word as part of my thinking at all. You said the word identity. What does a Dan Quinn-led football team look like? Adjectives. Tell us what it'll look like. I would say, if I had to say two right now, it'd be uh, explosive and physical. And the explosive comes offensively uh, and on the return game from big plays. Uh, through the run game, through play action, through the passing game, ones that can change field position. And those are the explosive plays that you have to keep going and being aggressive to go. 
uh, on defense. That's the energy generating football that takes place on an interception, on a score for you know returning on defense, a forced fumble, the sacks, the ones that create negative plays for an offense to put them in some disadvantaged situations. Like we like playing from second and 12 and 13 and third and longer. So how do you do that? You've got to be bold. You've got to be aggressive. Having the players to do that, that's part of what we do. And then train them to do it over and over and over again. It's so important for us to find guys of things they can do versus things they can't do. And uh, I can remember early on as a coach here at a scout table, like, oh, he's a little slow. He's you know, not very long. But he said, man, I can't wait to watch him. You know, was, I want to find the unique stuff that a guy does have. And then how do we put him into this? And so if we bring a guy here, I want to make sure I'm very clear to Adam to say, this is how we would feature this player. He's the, you know, the F tight end. He's the second halfback. He's the starting you know, defensive end, whatever that looks like. And then we can push that player into that vision. Quite honestly, when players leave college, they don't know what their vision is. And that's our job to help them get there. And why do guys develop faster than others? Sometimes the vision of what they can become is so different than what they did in college. They were chose a college, the system changed, the coaching staff changed, whatever it might have been. And now you put them into a space that you know how to feature them. So why do late round draft picks and free agents take off? There was a specific plan for how that guy could be used. And that's the connection I have to be able to give to Adam as often as I can. So um, explosive and physical. And I'd hope uh, you know, teams that have to play against us are like, damn, this, this is going to be hard today. And uh, having that physical nature of the way that we finish plays that jumps out off tape, inspires others that we're with, and keeps pushing the standard that you're going to hear me say a lot. Uh, finding these standards together. So I would say uh, explosive and physical uh, would be two things that uh, I hope every time uh, we play and get it on that you guys feel that. Good afternoon, gentlemen. David Harrison, Sports Illustrated. Coach, welcome to DC. Thanks, David. Um, I notice over your, your track record, stylistically, scheme-wise. Uh, You're listening you live it? to the ongoing press conference of Dan Quinn. He's flanked by Josh Harris and Adam Peters and Ashburn right here on Grant and Danny on the fan. It's good to know that, like, I'll tell you a quick story of why. Like, you have to evolve, and it does have to change. And um, during that time of reflection, I said, in between uh, leaving Atlanta and going to Dallas, I think I referred to Josh and Adam and, like, you know, did a 360 on myself. The other thing I did during that time defensively was we put the tape together from 2013 to 2020. So that included Seattle and it included Atlanta because it was really the same system in those eight years of defense. And what had once been good was no longer good enough. And so playing three deep the way that we did in Seattle and early on in Atlanta, there were some good things that went along with that. As it went further, more completions when you played this kind of vision zone, more troubled routes. And there's some excellent offensive coaches. So they knew this and this causes them problems and this and this. So coming back for that second lap, I knew I wasn't going to rinse and repeat. What were some things around the league and, and through college ball that could be different. And so coming back into Dallas, the system that we put together will be similar to the one here to say, let's collectively put together the commander's offense and defense. So that's why it evolved, where some things were good early on and they changed. Some things can stand the test of it, this front, this thing. But it did have to evolve, especially on the coverage side. The, uh, the offense and the quarterbacks were moving ahead faster than that scheme would allow. And so that is why having that space for me 
although it sucked and it was depressing and pissed you off, there was this silver lining in that that made me become a better coach because I had to look at myself, not just from the, the, the lens of a head coach, but I also had to look at it from a lens on defense. I had to look at it, why weren't we good enough in four-minute offense? I wanted to go back and find it through those years. And so that's why I was so adamant about when you get those lessons, like you want to go and run with them to prove it. And so they've been in my pocket <laughs> on some things and others I got to the show through you know, my time in Dallas. And that was a fun process to go through. So that's where it was where things evolved and changed. And you know, in five or six years from now, it won't be the same exact things anymore either. So you have to constantly keep pushing. You've got to be innovative. You've got to be on the edge of things. Not all the things that you try work. You know, like it goes like this. So sometimes in OTAs and training camp, let's look at a coverage or look at a blitz and then take it out. It's too busy. It takes too much time. If, if a player has to overthink it, it's not the right call. You know, I want them, you know, from the lens of their vision in the helmet that they can go and really attack. And if I have to make them overthink it, whether it be at the quarterback position, this check to this check to this check, or as a defensive play caller uh, to this, to this, to this, and they have to slow down where they can't play fast and aggressive and hitting, then it's not the right fit. So there's some trial and error, but um, it is part of coaching that makes this profession so much fun because it's always evolving. It's never, you don't get bored doing this. So it feeds into my good, okay, what's next personality. But I do like that there's something next and it's next and it's next and you better keep up and, or you get left behind on some things. And I learned that lesson. And so that's why evolving and having a plan of how to do that each off season, that's a really big deal. And then uh, Coach Witt once said that his dream, one of his two dream jobs was uh, being the defense coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. But obviously, that dream has shifted. He came with you. What does that mean to you as, as a leader for him? Yeah, and I'm really fortunate that uh, Joe's had a big impact on me. Um, so um, leaving Atlanta and coming to Dallas, um, I knew Joe had special traits about him. And uh, not just in the coverage side, although that's, you know, I would say his superpower of the detail, the coverage, the play style. Uh, but what also is there is the ball hawking and the tackling and the fundamentals. So he grew up a coach's kid. So Joe's father was an exceptional coach at Auburn for a really long time. You know you're a good coach when you don't coach there anymore and you still have a locker in the coach's locker room. Like, that's Joe Witt Sr., okay? So coming up as a coach's kid, Joe's, he'd been on practice field since he was this tall. And so he knew what good looked like along the way. And he's been more than ready for this opportunity to do it. And uh, I'm thrilled to, to add him into it because it also allows some of the language for me to, you know, stay connected to in a good way. Because, you know, for me, learning the language offensively, if I had to do that again defensively, it would have been longer. Now I can accelerate that process. So we're really pumped he's here. He's got a fantastic football background. Hey, Dan, George Wallace, WTOP. Welcome to DC. Thanks, George. Uh, kind of a unique situation, obviously. New ownership group, first time general manager. How important was that for you going into this kind of everybody's starting fresh this year? Yeah, I thought, um, I didn't think of it in that way of starting fresh, but I did think of it as what I was looking for, you know, to be a part of, you know, a team like this. And so that was probably more important than the, the newness of it. But to get to start kind of all together, um, I think that's a really cool thing. And I hope, you know, many years from now we look back on this day and say, 
that was really cool. That's when this thing started. That's when we got it all together back on, you know, whatever date was on 2024 in February. We look back, you know, 20 years from now and say, that's how you do it. And uh, that's huge standards, huge expectations of what we have for all of us. But that's how we want to set them. And so I think it is kind of cool. I didn't think about it, but uh, you're right. To start something fresh together, it's pretty rare. I don't know how many times that's happened in the history of sport, but uh, I think that's a pretty good precedent to, to go for it. Quinn, the new head coach of the Washington Commanders, saying Eric Bieniemy will not be retained. He will not be on the coaching staff. He's not going to use the word rebuild, and I liked his line, if a player has to think, then it probably isn't the right call. Very, very different than a defense where players were often confused and had some miscommunication issues in the secondary last year. You're not going to miss any of the presser. We'll continue next on Grant and Danny. Grant and Danny live on the fan all over D.C. and Richmond and wherever you are on the Odyssey app. This Dan Quinn introductory press conference, 57 minutes long. We're a little bit behind because, you know, we have this whole thing we've got to do, Danny. We where rules. Occasionally we have to take some breaks, but it just ended. We're going to let you hear the final several minutes right now. We told you you would hear the full presser when we said that. We thought it would be 30 minutes long. We didn't know it would be a record-breaking, hour-long press conference. But we will get our chance eventually to talk today on Grant and Danny. But more Dan Quinn, Adam Peters, Josh Harris, the story of the day out in Ashburn. Hi, Liam Griffin, Washington Times. Uh, Dan, I want to know, what does a successful first season look like for you guys? Do you have a record in mind? Do you have a, what, what, is, what do you want to see from that team by the end of the first season? I would say, uh, one, it's a cool question, Liam. I would say uh, I want to make sure, above all things, um, that our identity takes place about how we play football and that um, when people watch us play, they know what commander's football looks like. You know, we're going to find our true north to say we are going to be explosive, we are going to be physical. If we do those things right and if we can get to that space quickly, um, the success will follow from that. But you can't put a prediction on that without having those things in place. So uh, I'm somebody that wants to hit every rung of the ladder and not jump across steps to get to somewhere where you, you left some things off. So we're going to hit all those markers on the way. How quickly our team connects, uh, how quickly the staff and the team connects, that's where it's at. And so the success will be derived from that. And uh, we're going to try to accelerate as fast as we can. Um, but there's a lot of work to do. and so. Once we get to that, you know, final roster that we put in place to, to start the season in September, um, we got a lot of work to do between now and then. Hello, all. Brandy Flores, DC News Now. Dan, welcome to Washington. Thank you. Since it was announced that you were taking the head coaching job with the Commanders, it has been nothing but praises from your former players to former assistants. How important is it to you that throughout your career that you've established to be not just a good leader but a good person that these people will seem like they'll follow you to the end of time? Well, I, I one, I appreciate you saying that. Um, that, was not, that was not a plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All those guys, thank you. Um, the reason I got into coaching was the players. Like, I've loved football my whole life coming up. Like. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I went to college. I wanted to teach and coach. And so when I was in college, I found out that I didn't have to teach. I could just coach. I said, that's a pretty good gig. I'll, I'll go that way. So 
but teaching has been part of what I've done for my whole life, and that connection with people um, and players specifically is what I've done. I love the fact that you get to help develop somebody and them to achieve things that maybe they didn't even think were possible. So to see a player develop and get into that you know, second contract or third contract and you helped change their life, like that's really big. And early on, I didn't know, could you have an impact as a coach in pro ball? You know, you say, well, it's a business and that. And, I, and from the outside, it's a really fair question. But from the inside, it's completely false because of that connection and knowing that lives get changed because of the impact we can make for one another. And so I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for some of those players that are saying those things. They were the ones in Seattle that helped create a moment for me in Atlanta. Same thing in Dallas. And so that's why, for me, I've learned a lot from players. Seeing some from the vision of their helmet, of what it could look like, I can't tell you how much I learned from Bryant Young. You know, when I first became a, you know, a coach in San Francisco, his standard of performance was second to none. He set the bar so high, it was hard to go, like, well, he doesn't do it like BY. And Jason Taylor and others that I've coached along the way um, through Seattle and guys, you know, household names you'd know, but you may not know who Michael Bennett was <laughs> as an undrafted free agent at A&M to see his life get changed or um, the connection with Matt Ryan and uh, seeing what that meant, you know, to see those experiences happen. And then same thing um, in Dallas, you know, with a number of the players there. So I absolutely love it. I think it's leadership. And early on, I think I felt like leadership was just about how do I lead? And then as I got maybe a little more chrome and a little older, I recognized leadership wasn't just about me, it's helping others see the leadership in themselves and what they could become and giving them a vision of what their career and path could look like. And there would be good days and hard days always in between. But if we stayed consistent with these guys, like they need to be told the truth about things. And uh, they appreciated that, the honesty when it's going good. And I can see Jason nodding his head. Does They need that. And to just to dance around, oh, it was a numbers game, or it wasn't your fault, or like, that's not accurate. Like, tell these guys the truth. They want to be great. And we have to sometimes, as coaches and leaders, tell them the things they don't want to hear. And I'm comfortable doing that because they know I come from a place that I care about them, I love them, and I want the best for them. So um, it's why I coach um, to have those connections with everybody involved with it. I've loved being on a team. Um, it's my favorite thing. I've been over on uh, like over 78 teams in my life, you know, from being a seven-year-old to sports through, you know, high school and college and pro ball. And so being on a team is what I know and it's what I love. So that's why that connection is so damn important to me, players, coaches, the whole thing. And when you get it really good um, and really tight, that's when the, the magic stuff happens. And uh, it's hard to do that. Uh, we got different than, you know, I know, you know, Josh from his background in, in hoops and in hockey, like it's a big team, you know, we got to run a hundred deep here, you know, between players, coaches, staff to get connected. And if you can get that many people together on a vision of how to do things, knowing that like every role matters, you know, for game day to just support those guys, that's when you hit it and knowing every 
person in this building has a role in winning. And that's what we got to get to. And the players feel that. And uh, that's why I love it so much. Thank you, Dan. Dan. Candace, Candace Buckner, uh, Washington Post. Um, so I'll preface this by saying 53 is not old at all. Thank you. Uh, but as you were watching the NFL cycle, hiring cycles the last two years and the trend of hiring younger coaches, uh, while you were waiting and being optimistic about your next shot, did you have to fight discouragement that maybe the league was passing your group, your age group over? Mm. Young and shiny, right? Yeah, OK. Well, I would say I was once young and shiny. So I um, wanted to make sure I don't see myself as that. So I get it was honestly more like offenses versus defensive. So it was nice to see people recognizing you got to coach the whole team. That's a head coach. That's the essence of it. It's not just this one group and hope it goes good on the other side. That's what an offensive coordinator does, a special teams coordinator, and a defense coordinator does. So it was never one to me about old or young. Like We've seen some really good coaches, um, two who I regard very highly, who just you know finished their careers this year in their 70s. And like, that's, the, that's, that's the mark for me. You know, Let's talk about that in those terms. But it wasn't necessarily age as much as it was offense versus defense. Um, so I can't believe you outed me. I am 53. But um, <laughs> I was absolutely going to go for 45. But this probably gave it away. So. <laughs> the players either do phone call or just text not yet and uh now that i'm here i i uh you know i look forward to getting to do that. there's so many guidelines that you can and can't follow but um more than anything i just want them to know like how pumped i am to get rocking with them and uh we're going to compete our asses off together and so knowing that i hope they feel the energy that's uh and momentum that's going to come um from this day forward and knowing that um Years ago, I can remember Matt Ryan, after my first year together, he said, I felt like I got traded, but I went back to the same building. And I thought to myself, good job, because that's what I was wanting them to feel. They needed a, a, a recalibration, and uh, our club does too. And so that's what I anticipate doing. That's great. Thank you. Thanks. Dan Quinn taking questions from all comers there. I mean, that was a 57-minute introductory presser. Netflix special. If anybody wanted to ask a question, they got to. I asked someone with the club before the press conference. Danny, I said, how long do you guys think it'll go? They said, we're planning on 30 minutes of questions. They doubled that. You could see the appeal. You could see why everybody loves the guy. Right away. I mean, listen, we, you know, we, we're, and we're going to break all this down. We talk about press conferences, the opener. It's harder to lose it than it is to win it. But you can just see that how genuine, how humble, how willing to confront where he fell short, how willing to uh, you know, attack the new challenges ahead and you know, kind of eyes wide open, a lot less equivocating, a lot less excuse-making, a lot more. I get it. I get how we got here. I'm pumped for this opportunity. Just comes across as so unbelievably likable. Like, well, how about how candid he was yeah. about how desperately he wanted to be a head coach? 100%. Again. I, I you know, love that, Grant. I do. Maybe it'd I'm a be easy to, to just say, well, I'm a coach, whether I'm a D coordinator. No, he made it very clear. I have urgently wanted this. I wanted this badly. I was staring at my phone constantly. This is important to me. Uh, there's a lot we can chew on here. There's all kinds of different 
uh, news items that have come out of this, including Eric Bieniemy being out, Joe Witt Jr. calling the defense, why he liked Cliff Kingsbury, the fact that he w- doesn't think they need to rebuild and won't be calling it that. It's a recalibration. A lot about his relationship with Adam Peters as well, the fact that it's very obvious to me he wants nothing to do with personnel. He wants to coach football. I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons why he and Peters hit it off the way that they did. But uh, let's get into some of our reactions to what was an hour-long introductory presser. As Danny said, let him go. I mean, the more that was going on, the more answers and, and, and platitudes and just plans he was giving. And he was legitimately answering questions, mm-hmm. by the way. He was very, I thought, open. And, and you know, a lot of times he got something canned. He, he was giving real answers, which was great. Good for the team, right? They're, they're yes. not going to stop that. Because this is the best part of Dan Quinn is you get him up in front of the mic and nobody's ever met him that doesn't love him. So I was getting very positive feedback, reactions online. Uh, Let's get into some of our takeaways next. Mike Florio is going to stop by in about 20 minutes from Radio Row. We can ask him what he thinks about the Kingsbury hire, Dan Quinn coming to town, Eric Bieniemy on his way out. Lots to get to on Grant and Danny. We officially get things going post-press conference next on The Fan. On 106.7, the fan. Dan Quinn introduces the new head coach of the Washington Commanders. Josh Harris starting the press conference by saying, the last time Adam Peters and I sat here, we told you we wanted to find the best leader for Washington football, and we did that, which is actually where I want to start. Maybe it's just me. Josh Harris doesn't like saying commanders very much, does he? It's easy to notice that. If you're looking for it, which I am, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of commanders in when when old JH speaks. You could say, well, it's just a coincidence. Maybe Washington football over commanders is his preference, very obviously. But I don't want to bury the lead. So Quinn is introduced. Peters talked about the ability to build a staff. He talked about his propensity to resonate with people. The fact that players love playing for him. That they hit it off. Here's really at its core what I think happened here. And this isn't to say that this wouldn't have happened with other candidates. But I think one of the reasons they feel so good about Dan Quinn. It is extremely obvious to me. Dan Quinn wants nothing to do with being an assistant GM. Dan Quinn is not here to pick football players. Quinn wants to coach. He said he will lean on Peters extensively. He mentioned over and over again that when Adam counsels him, he'll be able to tell him how he can use a guy or what he might be able to make uh, a guy do differently than he did in college that could work, how he could alter a prospect. But it was clear in a cycle where Belichick got very little love because the coach-centric thing is dying and people didn't want him sucking oxygen out of the front office room, uh, where Vrabel is not going to be coaching in the NFL as good as he is after he butted heads with Rand Carthen in Tennessee and clearly Danny wanted some say in personnel the reason this Dan Quinn thing made so much sense to Washington in addition to the fact that they love the leader and they think he's a good coach this is the Adam Peters show man and I thought it was very obvious as Quinn spoke for the 57 minutes he took questions he doesn't plan on helping pick players That, to me, is why this thing can work and certainly will work better than the Rivera era did because you've got a Rivera-ish head coach, but 
He's not playing GM. He's not moonlighting as a front office executive. And it doesn't sound like Quinn has any interest in doing that. Now, you and I both know it's a rebuild, right? Most fans listening know that it's a rebuild to some degree. Now, how long those take in football in a league of parity when you've got a bleep ton of salary cap space and a whole bunch of draft picks in the top 100 might be a different timetable than than in other sports, right? Say this Wizards rebuild is going to take some years, like Philadelphia, uh, the 76ers did, et cetera. But you could see the separation of powers there, whether that was intentional or not. Dan Quinn's job is not to rebuild. He's given 53 guys. We're going to set a standard. We'll coach them as hard as we can possibly coach them, put them in positions to succeed as much as they can possibly succeed. Who's on the field or who's on the roster is not his responsibility. Again, that divvying up is essential. Because think about when you have this stupid coach-centric model that I'll never get over, but the GM is going to lose in that tug of war to the head coach nearly every time, right? I mean, because this week is more essential to the head coach slash GM then two, three, four years from now, et cetera, whereas Peters is going to be able to balance and should be able to balance both things, where the job of Peters is to basically go every day, who from this group here that I've already assembled is going to be here next year, the year beyond, et cetera, and who's replaceable? Who can we move on from and who should we move on from? Dan Quinn's job is not to do that. His job is to coach the 53 that he's given at, to, to, to the highest extent possible. That separation in and of itself just tells you that the structure can work. It started a little rocky for me when he immediately said, you guys are going to get used to me saying, be where your feet are. Did not love it. And then I thought he was going to follow that up and go, my other favorite saying is, that's interesting, but it's not important. More so than anything else, okay. But uh, aside from the PTSD and the flashbacks, uh, it ended up being, I think, a huge win for the club and for Quinn. I'm a sucker for an introductory press conference. I wasn't surprised. Uh, This is how uh, he is so popular. He is a likable guy. I mentioned this the other day. Unsolicited NFL head coaches, you know, front office executives were hitting me up this past week, guys that I know and have worked with or covered in the past, that tell me how awesome Dan Quinn is. I mean, he is beloved. The relationship between him and Peters is the thing I'm really going to grasp onto that will give me some hope, though, as someone who believes – in Peter's abilities. I thought it was awesome that Peters and his wife went and met uh, Dan Quinn and his wife as they got off the plane late last night. You know, he talked about the brothership already being built. I just think that that rapport becomes critical. Uh, Let's go rapid fire here really quickly, Danny. Um, We'll go back and forth in volley, but I want to go through some of these. Joe Witt Jr. is going to call defensive plays, not Dan Quinn. How about that? The new defensive coordinator. What do you think? That I don't want to say it was surprising, but it kind of cemented. Again, Dan Quinn sees his role less as defensive side of the ball, period, end of story, as unifier CEO type. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, he says he wants to be able to control the game. He wants to be able to operate as a head coach in game management at a high level. Uh, He also really trusts Witt, no doubt about it. Three straight stops now for Joe Witt Jr. Which I get. uh, Where he's been under Dan Quinn in Atlanta and Dallas and D.C. I bet you also they didn't have a choice. Not to say they didn't want him to call plays, but he could have stayed in Dallas. He was their first choice as their coordinator and would have been calling plays there. So you probably had to offer them that, even if Quinn would prefer to do it, to get him here. Good point. Uh, He talked about Cliff Kingsbury being high on his list because, for the same reason he hired Kyle Shanahan, he said that he's always found Cliff Kingsbury's offenses very, very hard to defend, how multiple they are, how aggressive he is, how they like to throw the ball down the field vertically and take shots and try to be explosive. What did you make of what he said about Kingsbury? There was less talk about him working yeah. with quarterbacks and young quarterbacks. I would have thought that was one of the, the primary focal points of bringing him in, but 
for him, it was more about how much he likes the scheme, which is interesting because the scheme's gotten knocked a bit over the years. And, Jeeps, it may be ultimately that quarterback point, but you can't quite say it yet because they haven't officially drafted one at two or they don't want to tip their hand with Sam Howell or otherwise because I still think that's the essential thing is Kingsbury whispering to quarterbacks. But, yeah, the, the scheme part of it I thought was – you know, I mean, coaches feel how they feel, right? You you know if the guy's a pain in the butt, you could have chosen, chosen a lot of people. But if that guy's hard to go up against for you, I just don't think of it the same way for, for Kingsborough. I don't think of him as a downfield Eric Coriel attack type thing. I think of it as quick passes getting out and the occasional shotgun run. Eric Bieniemy is out. He was classy about this, that he sat down with yep. Bieniemy today, told him how much he likes him, how great a coach he is. Not a good enough coach, I guess, to coach on this staff, though, because he made it clear to Bieniemy that they are parting ways, something we'll talk quite a bit about. As you said, he will not use the word rebuild. He's calling it a recalibration. So how did we get here with Dan Quinn? And maybe more importantly, what do we think about Cliff Kingsbury, Joe Witt Jr., and what lies ahead for this staff? We'll get to that next. Mike Florio is going to join us from on site here at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas at Radio Row. Grant and Danny on the fan. Welcome back to Grant and Danny on the fan. I am live at Mandalay Bay at Radio Row in Las Vegas. Danny is back in our Half Street Studios in D.C. holding down the fort on the day that Dan Quinn was introduced to the media day. We are joined on site right now by Pro Football Talks. Mike Florio is making the rounds here in Vegas. I was just telling you, Mike, 57 minutes the press conference time for Dan Quinn today being introduced to the media. Well, you know, I like more. More is better. More gives the reporters greater opportunities to ask questions, 
meaningful responses. I would take 57 over five to seven minutes any day. So that's good. Now, whether he said enough to make people excited about the hire, I don't get the impression a lot of people were. It feels like they settled. It feels like they got their second, maybe their third choice. But he's got to prove himself, and he's got to make people feel better about a guy whose defense gave up 48 points and got embarrassed in the wild card round at home. Uh, Mike, does how we got here matter? Spoiler alert, it matters to me. You know, you don't, you don't let your number one candidate all along, quote-unquote, get on a commercial flight out of Reagan National Airport to be photographed by Nick Javal of the Washington Post. That's just not what it looks like. Does it matter at the end of the day how we got here? Of course, if he's successful, no one will care. But for me right now, it does matter. Well, I think a big part of what any team tries to do is create the impression that no one ever says no to us and we always get our first choice. And I think there was a desire by Josh Harris to create the perception that now that he has taken over the team, they will be lining up to work for us. They will choose us over other destinations. And this becomes part of the PR challenge. I say this all the time when it comes to the draft. If you have one of the top ten picks in the draft, you never say who you really want. So when you draft the guy, you can say this is the guy we got all, that we wanted all along. This is the guy. Nobody ever knows any different. It's more of a challenge when – you're trying to find a coach, you need to be sensitive to what the perceptions are out there about who you're going to hire, and it was widespread rumor, belief, etc., that it was going to be Ben Johnson. You better be aware of that, and you better be in a position where you can be proactive and counter it if you feel like the wind is going to change. And then you got to get the word out there that, you know, we think a lot of Dan Quinn, and don't be surprised if it's Dan Quinn, and the next thing you know it's Dan Quinn. It doesn't seem as sudden. It doesn't seem abrupt, and it doesn't feel like – you only went to Quinn after Ben Johnson moved on and after Mike McDonald had offers between the Seahawks and the Commanders and chose the Seahawks. So the PR part of it has a lot to do with it. But, yeah, it I don't know. There isn't a whole lot of sizzle. There isn't a whole lot of flash. And if I was a Commanders fan, I would not be sure how I should feel about any of this. The staff's going to have a lot to say about that, right? And he's already gotten to work in that regard. Joe Witt Jr. comes over. Cowboys secondary coach has had two interception leaders in the NFL the last three years. Quinn said today he will call plays as the defensive coordinator. And Cliff Kingsbury was the hire as an offensive coordinator. I think they're kind of viewing that as a slam dunk because he was a four-year head coach and he's a huge name. I think fans are whelmed in D.C. They're not really sure what to think because the production hasn't kind of met what you expect from Kingsbury. But what's your thought on those hires? The Kingsbury offense is basically a system. It's a system that is premised on the notion that I have better players than you, so I can do this over and over and over again. I don't have to be creative. I don't have to make dramatic changes to my approach eight, nine weeks into the season once you've figured out what I'm doing. I'm not going to game plan for your defense as much as I'm going to prepare my offense to go out and do the things that I do well. That is a problem in the NFL. It works in college when you've got superior talent. And when you look at what Cliff Kingsbury Clint Kingsbury, excuse me, did in college. He he had a losing record at Texas Tech. He had a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes who wasn't nearly as good as he could have been and should have been based upon what he has become. So where is the substance to match the style, the sizzle, the idea that Kingsbury is this football savant? I didn't see it in Arizona. And it's just so strange. Now, he's different than some of these other offensive coordinators who – they leave one team involuntarily and they land somewhere else, like Ken Dorsey and Alex Van Pelt and Luke Getze if he ends up with the Raiders. At least Kingsbury was a head coach. 
But this idea that you spend a one-year exile in college and now you're back and you're you're kind of in demand as an offensive coordinator. The Raiders would have hired him if they had worked out their contractual differences. Let's just see. And and if this is the the foundation being laid to get Caleb Williams, then there's a method to the madness. But the jury is still out on whether or not the Cliff Kingsbury offense works. And I just don't think it works as a system that we use without regard to who we're facing and without the dramatic changes that I think offenses need to make over the course of a season to be as good as they can be. His offense is ranked 16th, 14th, 15th in his first three or four years in Arizona. Of course, that fourth year Murray got hurt and all things broke around him. He ended up losing his job. Mike Florio is as plugged in as anybody covering the National Football League, joining us from Mandalay Bay at Radio Row on Grant and Danny. I actually want to tap into something you just referenced with that Raiders gig. It was his for like 36 hours, supposedly, and then it wasn't. I don't know if you know the specifics of what happened there or not, but how does something like that happen? Does Dan Quinn or someone reach out and go, hey, did you sign yet? Is that allowed? I mean, how does that oh, yeah. work? It's all fair game until a contract is signed. Now, Even if he's agreed with the team and he's, like, flying yeah. in to sign or whatever. Nothing is done until it's done. There's no binding contract until it's signed. Now, you can get into issues of ethics. You can – you can Like the Raiders could be upset maybe. You could harm relations. Well, but I think it truly fell apart. This wasn't a situation where – He's working on a deal with the Raiders, and then in come the commanders, and they steal him away from the Raiders. Gotcha. The deal broke down with the Raiders. Now, I don't know this to be 100% accurate, but I wouldn't be surprised if what happened was one of the key terms, like number of years, was an issue. Because he's still got buyout left with the Cardinals. So if, for example, whatever you're offered by the Raiders only takes you through what you already have by way of a buyout with the Cardinals and gives you nothing beyond that, what are you doing here? You just continue to get paid to not coach anybody. You've got an obligation to try to find something, but if it was years, if it was two versus three, that could have been an issue. And maybe the commanders were willing to do more. Obviously, they worked out whatever the differences were in Washington. It wasn't a holdup. It didn't keep it from happening. But yeah, until it's signed, nothing is done. Until there's a an enforceable contract that gets filed with the league. It's fair game for anyone, any reason, any way, shape, or form, with the only caveat being if you piss people off, it makes it hard to do business in the future. Mike Florio with us here on G&D. So, Mike, I mean, to me, my biggest reason for optimism when it comes to Kingsbury is maybe there's some evolution there. Because to your point, it was a lot of shotgun. The offense is usually or typically faded in the second half of the season as Arizona would, uh, despite some gangbuster kind of starts, like people kind of figured out there was no counterpunch there. I know that's kind of wishful thinking, but make the bull case for that. Well, we're all capable of learning and evolving and growing as human beings. That's the one thing that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. We learn from our mistakes. We mature over time. We get better, ideally. And the question will be, what has Cliff Kingsbury learned about coaching in the NFL during his four four years with the Cardinals that would cause him to fully embrace the realities of careful study of everything the opposing offense defense does so you can find the holes that you can exploit with your offense careful study of your own offense on a regular basis what are we showing what are people thinking that we do and how can we use that to our advantage and pivot away from it to something else that's what we'll know and i think the people who are expert at breaking down those nuances of the game like my partner chris sims on pft live he'll know 
by halfway through the 2024 season whether or not Cliff Kingsbury has learned from the failure in Arizona to have a system that is kind of a living, breathing thing that gets better as the year goes on. Mike, I don't have to be thrilled about the Dan Quinn hire, right? It's not a bad hire. It's just not the one that I was hoping for. Having said that, the commanders added one of the guys with the highest Q ratings in the National Football League. Like I don't know anyone that doesn't love Dan Quinn. Uh, you talk to people all over the league. What do you think is... Uh, it, is, it is about Dan Quinn. Like, just his press conference today, all of a sudden, a lot of fans are going, well, maybe this could work. Why is he so well-liked? Well, I don't know. Because if I was a Falcons fan, I wouldn't like him. We had a Super Bowl <laughs> one, and he blew it, right? If I was a Cowboys fan, I wouldn't like him. Gave up 48 points in a game that we should have won by 48 points over the Packers. At least that's what they led me to believe with all that bluster from Jerry Jones twice a week on 10. 5-3 the fan in Dallas. So there's, look, not everybody's cut out to be an NFL head coach, to be a successful NFL head coach. And Dan Quinn inherited a team that had been built before him by Thomas Dimitrov with Mike Smith as the head coach. They had franchise quarterback Matt Ryan in place. They had all the pieces. Their best year was when Kyle Shanahan was in charge of the offense. When they got to the Super Bowl, Matt Ryan was the MVP. Dan Quinn was... 43 and 42 in the regular season as a head coach, 3 and 2 in the postseason. Does that scream out? This guy just, you know, he just he just had he had bad luck in his first stop and now it's going to be better. I mean, you look at the team he inherited in Atlanta versus the team he's inheriting now. The team he had in Atlanta when he walked through the door with Julio Jones and Matt Ryan was better than the team he's walking into now. So, I don't know great guy everybody likes him i care about results and it's a zero-sum game for every good team there's a bad team for every winner there's a loser we got eight new coaches this year half of them are going to be gone within three years we know that maybe more than half i need to go look at that past few years how many of those guys that and you always find something good to say about them and we, you know hey we don't really know what's going to happen so we can either say something good or we can say something bad let's say something good and let's just shake the pom-poms and hope it works out but we know what happens there's a good chance it's not going to work out. There's a good chance he's going to be fired within three or four years. What do you make of this year's cycle being so defensive? Just a one-off? Because I don't the, like it. The numbers are, I mean, you're talking about ten conference championship games to one, four Super Bowls to zero in terms of offensive coaching hires versus defensive since 2014. And yet this cycle was dominated for whatever reason by defensive hirings. I don't like it. The most important relationship on your team is the relationship between starting quarterback and the person coaching the starting quarterback. If you have a defensive head coach and the relationship works between the quarterback and the offensive coordinator, what happens? The offensive coordinator becomes a head coach somewhere else, and then you got to go find another one. And you find another one, and maybe it works, or maybe it's Ken Dorsey, like the Bills found out the hard way after Brian Dayball did a good enough job with Josh Allen to become the head coach of the New York Giants. So... I would always hire an offensive head coach, always, always. And I mean that with all due respect to Dan Quinn and I was going to say Raheem Morris, but he's got experience on both sides of the ball, but he's primarily known as a defensive guy. And most recently he was defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. You're going to get in a situation where just like Todd Bowles in Tampa, what happened? Dave Canales came in, did a great job with Baker Mayfield, and now he's gone. Bobby Slowick was almost gone from the Houston Texans and probably will be gone after this year. So 
I want that Sean Payton-Drew Brees relationship. I want quarterback and coach joined at the hip for 15 years ideally. When I find my guy, I want nothing to get in the way of that guy being as good as he can be and losing the offensive coordinator to be a head coach with another team gets in the way of making your quarterback as good as he can be. Mike, want to go broader NFL with you. We had a playoff game only on Peacock this year. I have Peacock and still couldn't make it work. Somehow, probably a me issue, but still it frustrated me. <laughs> Where, what are we doing in five years? What are we doing in ten? I think that one of the wild card games, and there are six of them now on wild card weekend, one of them will be streaming every year for the foreseeable future. I don't think the NFL is going to push it any farther than that. I really don't. I don't know. Nobody from NBC tells me these things. I think the NFL was sensitive to the criticism of the streaming game on Peacock. The numbers eventually will blow up in your face. They had great ratings this year in the postseason. And a big part of that is games available on three-letter over the air. And there's still a lot of people who use the antennas that they tape to the wall that pull in the signals over the year. Big cities, a lot of people don't have cable, don't have Internet. People still use don't. those? People still use those. People still <laughs> use those. That stuns me. And, and so I think that, that for now, that's the way it's going to go. Now, at some point, it will all be streaming, I think. At some point, there won't be networks at all as they currently exist. You access everything through streaming. That's when it all changes. But the NFL, two things. They don't want to give up the gigantic audiences they currently get from over-the-air TV. And number two, if the NFL pushes too many of its quote-unquote free games to streaming, that's when it has to worry about Congress trying to take away the broadcast antitrust exemption, which allows the NFL to sell all games as a block. So you can't say, I just want to give Jerry Jones a billion dollars a year for his games and I'm not interested in giving the Jaguars or whatever other nationally unpopular team would get far less. Whatever Jerry Jones would get, there would be teams that would get far less. They want to hold it together, and the broadcast antitrust exemption lets them do that. What do you make of the numbers, 57 and 59 million, respectively, for the AFC and NFC championship games on Sunday? Both were records. On one hand, it's amazing to me that – in this day and age of you no longer have to cluster around your TV to watch happy days like when I was growing up. And that was the moment, and that was it. And if it passed, you're screwed. You might get the rerun six months from now, but you're never seeing that show again. There's no other way to see it. Now we watch whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, on whatever device we want. To get that many people to come together at one time is amazing. But at the same time, for example, what are the numbers going to be for the Super Bowl? $110 million? $120 million? What the hell is everybody else doing then? we got 240, 260 million other people. Where are they? Like, what rock are they hiding under? So it's still it's surprising that it pulls as many people together as it does. But when you consider how many football fans are out there, I still feel like the ceiling can be even higher. Mike, I remember a handful of years ago when the NFL wouldn't let Tony Romo do a fantasy football conference in Vegas. And not only have they leaned in, but they're, they're tripling down whatever gambling term you want to use on not only sports gambling, but, but any and all things Vegas. just seems unfathomable how far away we were a couple of years ago and where we are now. Well, they haven't leaned in. What they are, you know that game that you see from time to time where you go into the booth and you close the door and they press the button and there's dollars flying everywhere and you try to stuff as many in your oh, pocket as you yeah. can? Yes. That's Whatever what you get doing. your hands on. That's what they're doing. The commissioner was interviewed by Mike Tirico on the sideline before the first game of the regular season, Lions-Chiefs. And at one point, the commissioner said that the Supreme Court's decision required us to be in this space. It required us to be in this space. The Supreme Court's decision didn't require the NFL to do anything. 
The Supreme Court allowed every state other than Nevada, if it wanted to do so, to have legalized sports wagering. That's it. The NFL could have hated sports betting and avoided it as vehemently as it did before, as it does now. I mean, plenty of things are legal. That doesn't mean you have to do them. Mustard is legal, and I will never eat it. The NFL has decided that mustard is damn good when they pay you hundreds of millions of dollars to eat the mustard. And that's where the commissioner, I think, has a delicate situation. And that's why I think one of the reasons why I think I wasn't invited to the commissioner's press conference today, because I would read his words back to him from 2012 when he said, if legalized sports betting is permitted on a widespread basis, normal incidents of the game, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said normal incidents of the game, like fumbles, bad calls, and other things of that nature will lead to speculation, distrust, and allegations of point shaving and game fixing. And I would want to read that to him, and hopefully someone today will, and ask him, what are you doing to prevent that speculation? Are you witnessing it? Because I know I am. Everywhere I turn, every email I get, not every one of them, but a high percentage of them, suggests the game is now rigged. It's now fixed. The fix is in. And I think that what the commissioner feared has come to fruition. So what are you doing about it? What are you doing to prevent bad calls? What Meaning are you doing the optics. To, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. But what are you doing to enhance officiating so there aren't bad calls? You can't control fumbles. You can control bad calls. What are you doing to create create fewer bad calls and create a better perception like you said the optics that the bad calls we're doing everything we can to take them out of the game i want to double click real quick on what you just said about the presser before we let you go mike florio pro football talk final thing for you is the commissioner's press conference i've been coming to the super bowl pre-pandemic for many many years this was always this big open event they've now changed that it's earlier in the week which is just inside baseball before a lot of people get out here and you said today it was invite only which i believe is unprecedented well it Am I just being a, a cynical guy? Like, what is going on with that? It became invite-only the first year after COVID, and they've stuck with it. Gotcha. And now this year, by moving it from Wednesday to Monday and keeping it invite-only, and I think it's 120 people only, it creates the impression that they're very sensitive about creating an environment where that they can trust the people who ask the questions will play ball. And you look at the Jim Trotter question last year about – diversity in the NFL he network. He probably didn't newsroom. make the cut list. That, yeah, yeah, he probably <laughs> didn't get invited either. Right. And and it was the same question he had asked a year earlier. And look, we know how these organizations work. We have a very strong personality in charge. And Roger Goodell is a very strong personality. And he wants things a certain way. And he gets mad when it doesn't go his way. So those under him figure we better do things in a way that will not cause that same reaction when he came in and he was mad at everybody so you engineer the press conference so it's at a time when fewer people will be there fewer people are in town the people who are there are more likely to play ball and i hope it blows up on them i hope it backfires and i hope people ask a lot of tough questions because now they feel like they're being challenged if i got an invitation that means i play ball that means i'm soft that means I'm compromised. I'll show them. I'll show people like Florio who would suggest that only the people who get invitations are people who are going to throw softballs. I'm going in there with high heat. I hope that happens. But also the other thing they're counting on is what's right after the press conference. Opening night. Here comes Travis Kelsey being asked questions about Taylor Swift. Here comes Patrick Mahomes being asked questions. Here come all the 49ers players. By the time opening night's over... Anything the commissioner said is going to be superseded by that. It used to be Friday. Peter King made this point on PFT Live last week. It used to be Friday. All that stuff would carry into Saturday because nothing else was going on. There'd be six, seven, eight stories about things the commissioner said. Now, there may not be more than one or two. 
Mike, always appreciate it, man. Enjoy the Super Bowl week. Great talking to you guys. Thank you, buddy. Enjoy the week. Thank you so much. Mike Florio on site here, PFT Live, throughout the week on site at Radio Row. They will be uh, broadcasting live, as is Danny, your boy with no sleeves, the Pat McAfee Show. I see them about a, a hundred yards away. You need me to say anything to Pat for you? Just at, just inquire about sleeves. Just tell let them know what how many shirts are available that have sleeves. It would it would make me like them so much more. Eric Bieniemy out. Let's react to that. Kingsbury and Wit in. So much to chew on. Dan Quinn's staff coming into vision here. We see what he's trying to accomplish. We see he went and got a former head coach. He plucked one of the assistants from Dallas. Harris said he thinks he's still got a surprise or two up his sleeve. He called them tricks up Dan Quinn's sleeve. Let's get into that next on Grant and Danny on the fan. Danny is in D.C. in our Half Street Studios. I'm out here at Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas. Grant and Danny on the fan. D.C., Richmond, all over the country, wherever you are on the Odyssey app. And the cool thing about being on site out here at the Super Bowl is you bump into some buddies who cover the NFL. And we saw Kevin Clark of Omaha Productions and ESPN, and he's kind enough to sit down with us. Kevin, great to catch up with you again. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, First of all, Vegas can do this thing right, I think. I'm kind of I like pro, like, alternate between Vegas and New Orleans every year and everyone else can kick rocks. Miami do do doesn't do it, do it for you? I haven't been to one there, I got to say. I don't know why. They they make it too uh, fair geographically, and they put too much stuff in Fort Lauderdale and stuff like that. I like, the, I like the Super Bowls that are compact. We've got a situation right now where essentially everything's being done within four hotels of each other, and you can walk on the walkways. The stadium is right there. Vegas, any Super Bowl where everything in New Orleans is a great example. Yeah. Like, weirdly, like Indianapolis is also like this. Um, but anytime there's a radius of like five blocks where everything happens, that's a Super Bowl to me. Danny, one of these is not like the other. Vegas, New Orleans, Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which one. They're all cities in North America. Oh, it's tough. Gotta love it. Uh, what's the vibe like there, Kevin? Just in just in general, what's the feeling? I mean, I know obviously it's it's glitz and glamour, and that's sort of the Vegas style. But there's a, all this off season business is happening, and now it's yeah. almost like it's wrapped up in a bow. Everyone's got their introductory pressers here in the, in the rear view. It doesn't feel like the game's getting as much attention as normal. Yeah, I had one conversation with the game a little earlier today with Eric Eager, and like we both seemed sort of stunned that we were talking about like the impact of the Joe Tooney injury because so much is going on and so much is to be settled. I mean, like someone like Chip Kelly is still out there begging for an OC job. Cliff Kingsbury obviously um, did his little switcheroo the other day, and so uh, it, I, I don't think there's a lot of focus right now on what's going on. And I'll say that part of that is because it's a rematch. Part of that is how much can you quantify Mahomes' greatness that we haven't already said. I mean, we already did the he's Michael Jordan thing 12 months ago um now we're just going to do it again okay great that's fine um we've had the shanahan discourse the purdy discourse which i think has kind of eaten itself and so um i think there's some super bowls you saw this a little bit with the patriots especially their last couple um where the game doesn't really take center stage until friday or saturday because most people have have a thought about the teams in it a lot already talked about them and then b there's just so much happening around the league i mean we're getting to a point where i mean in f1 they call it silly season um where there's so many coach openings so many gm openings in every single place and and that sort of activity is more interesting i think than uh can nick bosa generate eight pressures against juan taylor what do you think and kevin clark of omaha Productions, espn is with us Dan Quinn hire, yeah. Na- national perspective. What, what did you make of the search? It was circuitous and kind of 
landing on Quinn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't be mad at a commander's fan for being disappointed. Um, I like Dan Quinn a lot. I think that his tenure in Atlanta was very successful. I think he got through to the locker room, which is important. Um, I don't know how much he maximizes that roster. Um, I don't know how much right now they're in a position to support their quarterback as much as a lot of teams are, um, which I think is the number one requirement of a coach in, in 2020. What do you mean? You mean with Quinn as a head coach? With Quinn as a head coach. Um, with the, I, I just how about Kingsbury yeah, as an OC? I, I guess I would ask, like, what quarterback is Kingsbury maximized? Um, I just I, I I don't know I I don't know I think he's he's got interesting ideas I think his adjustments his first year I think people thought he was just a pure air raid coach and and he was but he made adjustments throughout the year that actually surprised me um, his run game designs are, are quite good um, I think he's got a place in this league I just don't know if he's the guy when you're a defensive head coach your offensive coordinator is a massive 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 hire and and the ability to say you own that side of the ball and if you do well you're you're going to go be a head coach which is the, the default thing I mean look at Dave Canales in Tampa Bay he has he has a one-year reclamation project with Baker Mayfield and he's off to make tens of millions of dollars with Carolina it's a very attractive thing I think if Dan Quinn had spent a little more time and said hey um, this is one of the best jobs in football where you're going to get a top two pick, you're going to get a quarterback, and you're going to be able to get a head, coach, a head coaching job if you do the bare minimum. Um, think about someone like Bobby Slowick, who, who was able to be a, a head coach candidate after one year with C.J. Stroud. Um, I felt like Kingsbury was a little bit of an, uh, an underwhelming hire. Even if the plan, and I, I've seen some people suggest this, even if the plan is to overpay for Caleb Williams and match those two guys up, obviously they, they know each other from, from Kingsbury's relationship with, with, with USC. I still just think maybe there, there's better options for, for Caleb Williams or Drake May. Kevin Clark with us here on GND. And, Kevin, I do have about 788 questions about <laughs> F1. It's a Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari situation, but we have to do football on this radio program. Uh, what did you make of the hiring cycle just in general? I thought there'd be way more offensive guys yeah. getting getting more premium looks. And I can't believe Rabel's outside in the cold looking in, not to mention maybe the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. Nobody really seemed to want his services. I, this was a bizarre cycle to me. Hot take, Vrabel better coach in 2024 than Belichick, and here's the actual hot take, better TV prospect. Because everybody keeps saying, oh, Belichick was, was going to revolutionize TV. Maybe if he just became a completely different person. Like, he has right. the football right. knowledge. I could like, be less interested <laughs> in watching Bill Belichick That was a football play. Thank and, you, and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, you don't get it. He's funny. And I, I get it. I also am not that interested. Also, it's a, you hear those with Andy Reid, too, where the players and the co- and the coaches who have been with him are like, no, you don't really know him. He's really funny. Well, great. You know, a lot of people who are funny show that they're funny publicly to people <laughs> right. like me and you. Occasionally. So, yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't need to do, like, the trust me, he's really funny. He's just really dry. They don't have to do that. Um, so I'm going to short Belichick as a, as a TV guy. Although, I mean, like, I understand. You have to get him in, in a role. Like, you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see, like, a, a Manning cast type of thing with Pete Carroll, Belichick, and Nick Saban sitting at home and just, like, on a couch. They can be in their own homes just, like, critiquing what's going on because you know they would just do that anyway from their home. Um, But anyway, back to the question at hand. Shocked that Vrabel didn't get a job. That's the guy who maximized rosters, who's able to cut through to locker rooms, kind of like what I was saying about Dan Quinn. I think Vrabel would have been a phenomenal hire in D.C. Um, I don't know why they didn't really I think it was the personnel stuff. Yeah. Today's 57-minute, 57-minute, by the way, (laughs) introductory presser. 57, that's three minutes short of an hour, last I checked, with Dan Quinn. And it was a very good introductory presser. I'm a sucker for those. But my big takeaway was he wants nothing to do with personnel. Like, this is the Adam Peters show. Yeah. 
that's not Vrabel. You know, Vrabel and Rancarthon button heads. I think he likes, you know, he's read his own press clippings. It's certainly not Belichick. My guess is they wanted someone who wasn't going to take oxygen out of the personnel department. Can I ask you a question? Why didn't they call Bill Belichick and say, Bill, how about you? You're, you're the best coach of all time. You're not the best GM of all time. In fact, you're a pretty bad GM over the past decade. There's a reason that, you know, you're still the best coach of all time and have great game plans and weren't winning anything. What if you just coached ball? What if you just took Adam Peters' players and hoped for the best game plan and maximized those guys every single week? I'm surprised you don't make that call and just see if he wants to exist within structure. The, I've there heard was d- one report, I think it was Rossini. Diana Rossini had it, yes, Grant. That, that they reached out to him and they had a conversation yeah. before they settled on Quinn. How serious was it? I don't know. I just wonder, like, you've been around this game longer than I have. Guys like Belichick, are they... I'm just going to show up and listen to Adam Peters, who's like a really good-looking 39-year-old. Like, I don't know, man. I, I just think he could say that on a Wednesday yeah. when you talk to him, and then you get there and you you get Bill Belichick. That's yep. good, but also you get Bill Belichick. You could fire him if he doesn't want to do it. There's point. always that mm-hmm. option. He's not. Yeah. It's not a Supreme Court nomination. Um, so I, I, I just don't I, – I think that if you're going to hire Dan Quinn, you might as well have hired Bill Belichick or, or, or Mike Vrabel. That, that's just my feeling on it because you're going to go on the defensive side of the ball. You're going to go for a guy who is a team builder, CEO type. Um, great, you went about great press conferences. Mike Vrabel gives great press conferences. Um, and so I, I just I, – I felt like for a search that started out, so broad, bringing in Bob Myers, bringing in Rick Spielman on the football side, having all of these different consultants. I felt like this was going to be a, um, a a hire for the new age of football and and a search for the new age of football. Same. And it just didn't feel like the results bore that out. And we're talking about the, the, the finalists. We're talking about the structure and all of this stuff. And, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I, this is the results might be end up being completely different. But, like, I think David Tepper ended up getting a better triumvirate in Dave Canales, Brant Tillerson, and Dan Morgan than, than Dan Quinn and, and Adam Peters. And I think the part of that is David Tepper knows um, he screwed up and he had to have his, uh, what we would, in football would call a come-to-Jesus thing, um, where he basically said, I'm out of here. Here's a bunch of money to three people who can solve it. Um, it just felt like for a front office that promised newness, this feels very old to me. Um, and, I, you know, it's funny. I think Adam Peters is going to be a terrific GM. Um, but I remember I did a story a couple of years ago, and there was a, 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 a coaching search firm or a GM search firm, and they had, they had shared some data with me, and they said that uh, the, the the number one hire in football is the number two at a team that most recently played in a conference championship game or a Super Bowl, and that's whether that's O coordinator, you know, great example would be Brian Dayball and Joe Shane. Um, in Buffalo, where it's like, that's the hire you make. So Adam Peters is the hire you make, and I think he's going to be very good. But it just felt like this was a cliche search for an ownership group I didn't feel like was going to have cliche. Kevin, quick one, 20 seconds here. What was your favorite coaching hire? Just in your opinion, you know, just fit you like best yeah. or just guy that you like the most? Mike McDonald of Seattle. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. Um, I just think that there's a, the, I could tell you a long story about our meeting, but I, I'll just say that he's new age. He's defensive side of the ball, but that doesn't matter. He'll maximize the quarterback position. He'll make the right hires. Um, that, to me, was what I thought Josh Harris was going to do when we talk about a new era. Mike McDonald is the future, not necessarily Dan Quinn. Kevin Clark, ladies and gentlemen, Omaha Productions and ESPN. Awesome catching up with Thanks, you. Thanks, Kev. Thank you for stopping through. Enjoy Vegas. Yeah, enjoy Super Bowl week. Grant and Danny on the fan, we got to get you some breaking news from the ice right now. Not good news for the Capitals. Earl is ready to go. You're listening to the fan.
I'm Earl Forsey, breaking sports news on the fan, presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. So the NHL and the NHL Players Association just released a statement moments ago that Capitals forward Evgeny Kuznetsov will be unavailable to the team for an indefinite period while he receives care from the player assistance program of the NHL and the NHLPA. Capture schedule be back in action tomorrow night, home against Montreal. But again, the NHL and the Players Association announcing that Caps Evgeny Kuznetsov is receiving care from the player assistance program of the NHL and the NHLPA. He will be able to return to the team when cleared for on-ice competition by the program administrators. With breaking sports news from the Crop Medcalf five-star sports desk presented by Brett BetQL, I'm Earl Forsey on the fan. You just heard Earl Forsey's breaking news going to our last break. Really uh, disappointing and unfortunate news for the Capitals. Evgeny Kuznetsov entering the National Hockey League and the Player Association Player Assistance Program. Press release saying, and this was via both the NHL and the NHLPA, Kuznetsov would enter the program under the terms of the joint program. He will return to the club when cleared for on-ice competition by program administrators. So what is this program? Well, it supports players and their families, Danny, who are struggling with drug and alcohol dependency or mental health issues. You'll remember years ago a video came out of Evgeny Kuznetsov and what appeared to be cocaine. He ended up getting suspended at one point in time from Mm -hmm. the international hockey uh, play and and ability to play in international tournaments for, I think, four years. So – You know, he has had issues in the past that he's had to overcome, obviously. But this is uh, disappointing and certainly thinking about him and his family as it sounds like he'll be away from the Capitals for an extended period of time. Indeed. And the priority is, you know, and again, we don't want to speculate, uh, but it's it's not fair to do so. But his health, safety, mental well-being is is certainly the priority uh, to live his life effectively and be there for his family, kind of as we're alluding to. Secondary, of course, is, is performing well in hockey. And here are the simple facts. He has not played very well. Uh, This year, six goals, 11 assists for a guy that could be a 100-point scorer in in this league, a guy that was one of the singular reasons why they were able to win a Stanley Cup. He was their best player throughout that postseason run. Uh, Scores that goal against Pittsburgh and, you know, just a creative, dynamic force, stick handling, uh, the ability to, you know, fly end-to-end and and always make the right pass and be in the right spot. He was kind of the heir apparent to Nicholas Backstrom sort of passing the torch to that playmaking center and it just consistently hasn't materialized itself uh, over over the last several seasons. So, yeah, again, this is uh, something where you go, okay, this is larger than just something, you know, hey, we'll deal with this internally, or hey, you know, a couple coaches will talk to a couple guys and give them a pep talk. This is something that seems more far more significant, so good on the NHL, good on the NHLPA, and, uh, and Coos for taking the step. Yeah, he won the Stanley Cup for Washington. I know Ovechkin, who had a great playoff run, by the way. He was exceptional. But he ended up winning the Conn Smythe Award as the best player in the postseason for the Capitals. Kuznetsov was their best player throughout that Stanley Cup run. And you know, the unfortunate thing about his career since is we've all been chasing that production, right, that stretch. We saw it. We know what it looks like. He's played at times. He was the star, first star of the month in the NHL uh, at one point in time. Like, this is a 
MVP caliber, Hart Trophy type player at the apex of his powers, and we've seen it. And that's kind of what everyone's always clamoring for, and we just haven't consistently gotten. And you look at this year, 43 games, Danny Kuznetsov has just 17 points. Like, that's just staggering. Six goals, 11 assists. You know, we talk about the Capitals and where they're at and kind of a disappointing season. And Alex Ovechkin isn't scoring goals. And TJ Oshie's been injured off and on. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom is all but retired. They, they're not using the word, but he's not playing anymore. And Kuznetsov now will be away from the team as he's getting help from the league and the Players Association for whatever it is that he's dealing with off the ice right now. And I say all that to say, I mean, your team often can be summed up by how are your best players playing? How are your superstars faring? And it has been a season to this point, a little over halfway through for the Capitals, where while Spencer Carber, to his credit, has gotten a lot out of some of the younger players and some of the, the you know, mid-market players, so to speak, mm-hmm. on the team, the stars that are supposed to be carrying things just haven't been able to this year. And you look at that production from those guys that make that money, and you're not going to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, there's your season story, right? I mean, with Ovechkin, I get the sense, and I don't want to speak for all fans, but there's less vitriol because of the deposits in the bank, the consistency of, of excellence and performance and, you know, the goal scoring and where he ranks all time. If he retires today, he's the best goal scorer ever to live, and he's Mr. Capital and build the statue. Then instead, I hope construction's already started, and I want him meeting and greeting fans everywhere all the time with, uh, you know, with, as, as a brand ambassador to the Capitals. There are more places to skate and play hockey in this area because of number eight. So his deposits in the bank are beyond reproach. Not the case for, for Kuznetsov, to your point. I mean, again, 17 points. He's tied for 302nd, 302nd in the NHL in terms of points. He's, he's not a, a bruising defenseman that's going to lead the league in penalty minutes, man. He's, he's an, an unbelievably skilled, as you said uh, very well, a guy that should probably be a superstar in this league. So it hasn't been there. It, it has frustrated folks for some time. But, again, that's, that's secondary. Just talking about the hockey part of it. Uh, you want him to have his life in order. You want him to be there for his family. And uh, whatever he needs to do to get right, he should do. So good for him for being able to take this step. And I'm glad the NHLPA has uh, these mechanisms in place for when whatever it is gets to this point. But, uh, but yeah, as you said, it's, it's kind of a, another roadblock, in, 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 without a better way to say it, for this Capitals team reaching what we were might have been you know, worried about they couldn't get to before the season started and now seems to be further away uh, at, at this point in February. Yeah, a great deal of the expectations for and any kind of speculation on what they'd become this year. And always came back to can you, they can yeah. be as good as Evgeny Kuznetsov allows them to be with his production. But if you're just joining us, he will be away from the team, the league, the Players Association, saying that he'll be joining a program. The program's been designed to help players having drug, alcohol, or uh, mental health issues. Uh, so we won't be speculating uh, but Kuznetsov has, you know, battled demons over the years, obviously, tested positive for prohibited substances at World Championship playback in 2019. He's Danny. I'm Grant. I'm out at Radio Row in Mandalay Bay. Danny is in our Half Street studios in the district. Eric Bienemy is on his way out. We really haven't discussed that, so let's get into that next and more of our takeaways from the Dan Quinn press conference today. Harris, Peters, Quinn, all holding court with the media for about an hour. You heard it here on The Fan. You're listening to G&D.
taking you up to 6.30 on the fan all over D.C., Richmond, and wherever you're at on the Odyssey app. We're Grant and Danny. I'm in Vegas, Mandalay Bay, Radio Row. Danny is in Half Street in our D.C. studios holding down the fort. I just was talking to Warren Sharp. I just bumped into him. He went to Lake Braddock High School. I had no idea. Oh, I didn't know that. From Sharp Analytics. Uh, yeah, he lives in northern Virginia, and he said he's been a Virginia guy most of his life. I had no idea. I would have lost all the money. I don't know where I thought Warren Sharp was from, but I wouldn't have said right around the corner for me. Yeah, he probably lives. He might be your neighbor. If, if you bake cookies and take them across the street tonight, maybe it'll be the Warren if I, Sharp. If I rap on a door and Warren Sharp answers, like, here's where <laughs> those cookies went wrong, first down uh, success percentage, et cetera. Right. His mustache <laughs> yeah. and breakdown on what you did wrong on yeah your first intent baking those cookies. Uh, if you're just joining us, we appreciate you checking out the show. We're here till 630. You missed what was a lengthy but an insightful press conference from Dan Quinn. We'll give you some of the best of that presser at 6 o'clock as you plan to get through your commute tonight. Uh, you'll hear some of what he had to say. One thing we have not hit on, Eric Bieniemy's out. Now, this is not a surprise. Part of the reason, frankly, why, Danny, I haven't spent a lot of time with you on this today. I know people kept saying Bieniemy could be the head coach. Bieniemy could be the offensive coordinator. To me, it was a foregone conclusion that Eric Bieniemy was not going to remain in Washington the moment that Ron Rivera got fired. There was one small path to that, and it was a defensive coordinator hire that had worked with him maybe in the past. But when you hire a guy like Quinn or even McDonald, the OC hire becomes pertinent. You've got to get it right. And the idea that this ownership group that's been talking to players in the building for months or this new GM, Peters, who's been interviewing guys around the facility for weeks, that they were going to just roll with the enemy after their offense struggled so immensely against good defenses in the second half of last year. I always found that pretty outrageous, but we found out today Quinn, as respectfully as he could, very classy, said, I sat down with the enemy. I told him I'm a big fan. I told him I think he's a good coach, but we're not going to move forward with him. I wondered if there was a possibility of a lesser role here for the enemy knowing that Quinn would want to bring in his own dudes and his own cadre of guys. What um, role, though? You're gonna, you, you can't I don't make know him exactly. your quarterback coach. You're going to entrust your number two overall pick to him after what happened with Hal? I mean, I certainly wouldn't. But, I, again, I wondered if this co- in this coaching fraternity where Dan Quinn has been not exactly in Eric Benemy's shoes. I wouldn't pretend to make it seem it's the same thing. But understands what it's like to be outside looking in and to have a perception about you, right, as a, as a head coaching candidate. I wondered if he would say, hey, you're welcome to stay here. We'll find something for you to do. I'm making it up. A passing game coordinator, a run game coordinator, although that'd be laughable uh, for someone that hated running the ball. But you know what I mean? Something to say, I value you. And then maybe the enemy would say, no, I need to maintain this status. I don't think it's good for me to take a step back. I mean, he would be a run game went. coordinator like I would be a nutritionist. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, the di- I'm a in charge of diets. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm in charge of not no. needing attention. What's next for the enemy now? He was leaving Kansas City. It's so late in the cycle, Grant. Well, not only that, but he was not really getting OC opportunities in this cycle anyway. I mean, it's pretty stunning. Like, look, last year didn't go very well. I don't know that nobody should be talking to him about being a coordinator. I don't think we're there. This guy has gotten 15 head coaching interviews. Now, he didn't get any of them. I understand that. But to go from that, where you were the hottest guy in a cycle or one of the hot names in the cycle for a few straight years, to basically – one head coaching interview now over the last two years, and it was with Washington. They didn't even give him the second interview. It was kind of that cursory 
first conversation to get on the same page. And I think the Steelers were the only team that I know of that talked to him about an OC opening. I mean, what a fall from grace over a couple of years here. He bet big, clearly, on coming to work for Ron Rivera and having success and hoping that he and Sam Howell, Sam Howell could make some sweet music. And it just didn't quite happen as the year went on. Mm-mm. No, and it there was a moment where it was trending upwards, right? The most recent sample at one point was the best games that Sam Howell had played and the best he'd look consecutively. And you're going, hey, maybe your corner's been turned here. But then the latest sample was worse, frankly, than the early sample. So it all kind of came crashing down. And it's it's hard to avoid that. The best argument you can make for Biennemi's time here was the bad results, because that's what they were. They were bad. There's no way around that. We're not his fault. That's not an endorsement. I, I, I'm rooting for the guy, too. I, 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 you know, again, was was thrilled that he was hired. I thought it was a good fit. It was a good design. It was the right idea. But the best you can do here is to say it wasn't his fault, whether it was Ron, the offensive line, this skill guy, this, what he was saddled with or whatever. Which isn't coaching, by the way, which is not, But that's not an endorsement, GP. But it's also coaching is what? If you don't think Hal was very good, and that was part of the problem, okay, your job is to make Hal better. If you don't think the line was very good, and that was part of the problem, your job is to mask that deficiency and, and make that line better. And to your point, that was not the case. At the midway point of the season, I felt way better and way different about EB than I did at the end of the year in terms of viability long-term as an OC, even coaching possibilities in the future as a head coach. But what I kept saying all along was they are playing the weak first half portion of their schedule here. Remember, they had the second easiest schedule as an offense against defenses up until really the stretch of the season. And that's when they were going to start playing some heavyweights. And it really got ugly as they went on. Here's the argument I would make if I'm the enemy, though. Like you say, the best you can do if you're defending him is, well, I just didn't get dealt a good hand. I think the best argument he can make is I had five drives with Jacoby Brissett, and we scored five touchdowns. And we got points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose that a small sample of a handful of drives with a veteran was a lot better than the other big sample. But, again, I, I'm talking big picture. I, I don't think anybody's fooled by a handful of drives regardless, right? A guy that comes into the game where the defense hasn't prepared for the dude. I mean, there's a reason backups are backups. Right, I mean, every once in a while you get one of those great stories, but for the most part, larger samples aren't usually tremendously kind to to Jerry the journey, Miller, Billy the backup. But I think you're right in in this. You could either go look at this teeny tiny sample of a couple of drives in relief, and in addition, or uh, I was dealt a rotten hand, an organization that couldn't get right, the remnants of Dan Snyder, a stupid structure that made no sense, a guy that was obviously atrocious at picking players and evaluating, who was distracted. Uh, we had old dust-up get canned in the middle of the year, the worst defense of all time. I'm doing nothing but playing from behind. I'm down two touchdowns before I could breathe. Those are the kinds of things that you might have to say. But, again, you look at the cycle. You look where we are right now in terms of, of, of uh, the hiring part. The feeding frenzy's kind of already happened. I don't know what he does at, at, at this point. I mean, to me, I, I know this may not be what he, what, what he wants, but if I'm advising, I'm going, go be a college coach. Go run your entire operation your way you hold all the keys. You hold. You're the GM. You hold all the scholarships. You're you're the de facto, you know, uh, god king of this complex of this place. Run your stuff. Show that it works, and and get yourself hot that way. How do you keep guys from leaving? Though I mean, here here is the problem the enemy has had. I think in Kansas City quietly, but certainly in Washington, I can say with conviction, 
is that players have not enjoyed playing for him. I don't want to say, like, everybody. That's not my suggestion. But they are frequent enough, the complaints, the, the, the amount of players that you say – his style, we just refer to it as old school. You know, a lot of people just say, oh, the players are babies or whatever. I, however we got here doesn't matter, okay? For whatever reason, players either enjoy working with and for you, your style resonates with them, or it doesn't. Like th- That's where we're at. And with Biennemi, that just hasn't been the case. So I guess my question is, if you're saying, well, college makes more sense, on the surface I understand that. But in college, you coach a guy up, he leaves. That's what coaches are saying now. Mm. If I scream at a guy, if I bench a guy, if I get in someone's face, you know, if I give them too hard of a you know, stern talking to, they're in the transfer portal. I mean, is that the best place for my – I think what I would do if I was him is I'm starting to work as many of my contacts as I can, and I want to get a quarterback's job with a good young quarterback because that is the path and the trajectory for me, the HOV lane, to getting back into the mix as a a head coach. You get that successful run with a quarterback, get an OC job, maybe in the same place, have success, and then you get the head coaching job. It's what he bet on here. The problem Mm -hmm. was he came here and the offense ranked 28th, and the quarterback bottomed out and isn't going to be the starter next year, and the team's going to be picking a new quarterback. And frankly, out of his control, he just hitched his wagon probably to the wrong car. I mean, you went to a team that was in the middle of an, a sale, a new ownership group was coming in, and the, the head coach was likely to be fired if it didn't go well. It was why at the time I was saying this is a really huge gamble. Like, I don't think Eric Bieniemy is nearly as bad a coordinator as a lot of people think. But in an era where and in a time where player engagement, player uh, feedback, feeling like they're not only being – appreciated but even in this case you look at Andy Reid on that quarterback special guys want to feel like they have input now Dan yeah. I just Some don't know how much it, yeah. of that he's doing and it's weird because he comes from the same shop as Kansas City and Reid I mean you got to be who you are and and that's who he is and that may, and as you said it may you know put him on the outside looking in at some point I mean, who knows it may snap back for every time there's a player's coach and then the team has a bunch of you know false start penalties or lines up wrong we, the next guy in has to be what disciplinarian Dave and you know, the cycles will, will kind of go around in circles. So TBD, but I don't know, man, it's just, it's hard when you're outside looking in to get back in, you know what I mean? And there's, and there's a million guys that, that I guess have kind of made that leap back into, you know, pro football at high levels. I'm not talking about getting bumped down and taking, uh, you know, passing game coordinator gigs, or I'm trying to think of, you know, lower down quality control type guys who have worked their way back up. I mean, it took Raheem Morris, what 18 years, Almost, what, 15, 16 years? I, my math stinks. But you know what I mean? Like, he went from, we can't have this guy be a head coach. Understandable that the end was really bad. He was down, not, you know, not coordinating the defense next. He didn't get bumped down one slot and then, you know, hungry to jump back in like Dan Quinn just did or, or, or some others. He was down way low, hanging out with some of his buddies on the, on the Shanahan tree, working his way back up for a decade and a half. That's a, that's a, a long, arduous climb, and I don't know if that's what you know is it, where Bienemy would be best served, or where you even start that first step. I have no issue with Dan Quinn wanting to come in here, though, and pick his own staff. Me neither. Right? Reality of the league. If Ron Rivera was still here and he got one more year, to, he got to coach out the fifth and final year of his contract. 
I'm still not convinced Bieniemy would be back 100%, but I think he probably would be because he was under contract. Do you really want to pay him? He was the highest-paid coordinator in the league, I believe. He was certainly one of them. Uh, got a couple million bucks, maybe upwards of $3 million, uh, I'd heard at one point. So he was paid almost like half of what a head coach makes, essentially. Uh, I think they probably would have let him finish it out. And frankly, if, if you stuck with Rivera, you should have stuck with him too. Like It wasn't like it was so bad that you're keeping Rivera, but you got to get rid of the enemy. Uh, I, the problem is you got this number two pick. You got one shot to get this right. The pairing between that quarterback and whoever your coordinator is is the whole ball game now. It's what's going to determine the fate, perhaps, of the prospect and the quality of the prospect is going to determine the fate, maybe, of Dan Quinn and of the early Adam Peters era as well. So they had one shot. I'm a little surprised it was Cliff Kingsbury and not someone who was you know, part of one of the better offenses in the league last season. But you can understand why they like the idea of Cliff Kingsbury. And getting into that, Danny, Dan Quinn in his press conference today said, when asked why Kingsbury, basically when he hired Kyle Shanahan years ago, he gets a lot of credit for the staff he put together. The reason he hired Kyle, he said, is I hated playing against him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was one of the toughest offenses, toughest schemes to defend. And as a coordinator, you know, they kicked my butt from time to time. And he said the same thing about Kingsbury. Now, I haven't gone back and looked at the head-to-head to see if that bears out. But he said he had a short list of names he'd written down over the years that if I had another opportunity, these are guys I would want to work with. And Kingsbury was one of them. I liked hearing that. And now I know the other reason, I mean, the real reason to me is behind the scenes, he's been around a lot of great quarterbacks developmentally, right? You know, Pat and now whether, and Kevin Clark brought this up with us a, a little bit ago, I think a really salient point, has he maximized any of these quarterbacks? We don't know what Kyler Murray's maximum is. I guess we'll find out you know, over the next you know several seasons. But he got Johnny Manziel playing the best football of his life. Uh, Pat Mahomes turned himself into a, you know, a, a top half of the, the lottery, quote-unquote, uh, Do you give pick. him credit for that one? Because I don't know. Mahomes was viewed from a film standpoint as a wild card, so to speak. Yeah. They're kind of Caleb Williams-ish in a way, to be honest, where it was like off schedule and off structure more than on structure. But that was kind of the extent of the, the dialogue coming out. Like he was not seen on the same level. As much of a sure thing. Exactly. Well, th- those three guys you mentioned all had that in common, by the way, that we're talking about here, right? Caleb Williams is known for the for the off schedule, as was Pat Mahomes, and certainly Menzel never met a pocket he wanted to leave, uh, or didn't want to leave, rather. So I don't know. I mean, the 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 idea behind him, to me, if you're if you're talking about Kingsbury, is working with young quarterbacks. Period. End of story. I like that he probably he probably couldn't reference that because then that tip that gives away the business they're going to take one at number two or trade back to number three or trade up to number one or whatever they're going to do to grab a new young quarterback or even reference Sam Howell because that leads to questions you probably don't want to answer at this point if you're Adam Peters and company. What you want to say is, and I like this answer, by the way. I'm not criticizing it. It's a, I don't like playing against that dude. And I'm a good defensive coordinator, and other guys feel the same thing I feel, where he puts you in jeopardy, makes you uncomfortable, makes you uh, have to do things you may not want to do, will break your rules defensively, knows you as good as you know yourself, et cetera. I want to hear that as, as a fan. I want to hear that my offense isn't just lining up and pushing or lining up and doing the same stuff as everybody else or this group did each week, I want to present challenges to defenses because flat-footed defenders are slow defenders. I want to have something that they don't know is coming. I don't want them to anticipate anything, start pointing out my calls before I make them. I don't want that. And that was encouraging to hear, at least from a scouting report perspective, that that's how Quinn felt about Kingsbury. 
looking up some of the numbers, Kingsbury runs the ball more than people think. You know, they hear air raid and they look at his college offenses you know, on Saturdays where guys are throwing for 500 yards or whatever. And I think the anticipation is it's the enemy 2.0, it's, it's 80-20, you know, pass to run or something. That really isn't the case. First and 10 pass rate in 2019, his first year as a coach, 54% pass, 46% run. 2020, his second season, 49% pass, 51% run, about dead even, pretty balanced. 2021, 47% pass, 53% run. And then in 2022, almost dead even again, 51% to 49%. Uh, They also were efficient, not unlike Washington this year, uh, even though they didn't run the ball a a bunch, where they actually ranked pretty high in their yards per attempt. Uh, So it's, it's not like he can't coach the run game. But the key to me is the relationship with the quarterback. And as you said, which of those quarterbacks did he maximize? I thought that was, you know, you're right. Kevin Clark brought that up today right here on Grant and Danny. And it's hard to point to anyone and say, Murray, I think, is an incomplete because we just haven't seen him with anybody else until Mm -hmm. the second half of this season in in their offense now under Jonathan Gannon and and Arizona's new staff. But he was coming off an ACL. But the other guys – he, kind of, he went 500 with Mahomes in college, which didn't mean he was a bad quarterback, but it didn't feel like they you – know, you had the greatest quarterback of all time maybe in the future, and you were a middling college program. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously Manziel was incredible. Uh, but from a development standpoint, it wasn't like as a prospect he was developed into being NFL ready. But let's get some thoughts from you guys. We have not heard from you yet on Cliff Kingsbury. I want to do that next at 800-636-1067. That's the number, 800-636-1067. Kingsbury, the OC, Joe Witt Jr., going to be a D.C., Dan Quinn's staff being filled out. Grant and Danny on the fan. Grant and Danny on the fan. We are live all over D.C., Richmond, and coast-to-coast on the Odyssey app. I'm in Vegas at Mandalay Bay, Radio Row. Danny, alongside, is in our Half Street studios. Before we get to some of the thoughts people have on Cliff Kingsbury as the new hire and as the O.C., Danny, thought you and I could just take quick inventory on the Dan Quinn presser. We're going to have some of the best clips of it in the 6 o'clock hour this evening right here on the fan. But what stood out to you most if you were going to sum it up as to what you liked? And if there was anything you didn't like, what would you throw out? Yeah, the very general Jeeps. Things I liked, just the magnetic personality is obvious. He's humble. He's earnest. It's not an act that's, that becomes pretty clear. This is who this dude is. And you go, oh, okay. I see why everybody unsolicited offers opinions about how much they love the guy and how they'll run through a brick wall for him. That comes across his charisma is, again, not a put-on. It's not sometimes. It's not for the camera. That's pretty genuine. Again, that kind of becomes pretty clear. That's number one. The uh, thing that I, I really liked was, frankly, just more, the more I think about it, obviously Cliff Kingsbury's calling the, the plays on offense, but Joe Witt's calling the defensive plays. I think I really like that. I, again, Dan Quinn has defensive acumen. His bona fides are very real, and they, they should be counted. I thought that was really, really interesting, though, where he recognized, I'm not, I'm not just here to do one side of the football and hope the rest of it goes well. I'm here to kind of, you know, to, to borrow from Braveheart, to unite the clans here. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, my job is to make sure everything's going well. 
uh, and I can contribute probably more on defense than offense. But I was I actually thought that was really interesting. My favorite thing is I think that the relationship between GM and head coach is almost as important as that between the coordinator or ideally head coach and quarterback, you know, whoever's running your offense. And I think that Peters found his guy here. I think Peters in some way probably didn't want to hire someone who was going to constantly butt heads with him and or, you know, do whatever it was that Vrabel was doing with Rand Carthen the first time GM last year. And I don't think he has to worry about that. Quinn made it extremely clear constantly, almost every couple of answers that would come back to, and I'm paraphrasing, this is the Adam Peters show from a personnel standpoint. I just think seeing the video of those two guys embracing uh, on the runway and, and seeing that uh, that Quinn really, as much as I think Peters is looking forward to Quinn taking over and establishing his culture as a coach, it's obvious to me that Quinn wanted someone he could trust to handle the player stuff because he just doesn't want to be involved. And that gives me confidence that this thing can work as a tandem for those two. There are a lot of other reasons why it's either going to go well or it isn't uh, as we move forward. But I think that that duo is a win. And I took that out of the press conference. Uh, What I would have liked more of is I wanted to hear more that they think Kingsbury's the right guy for their young quarterback, whether that's how if they wanted to just play that game because he's on the roster or the number two overall pick, which we all know they're probably going to be drafting. But if they didn't want to tip their hand or whatever, just that they're taking a quarterback, I mean, you got an incumbent starter who was a sophomore last year and a first time player. And we brought in Cliff Kingsbury because we think he's really good with quarterbacks. And give me some numbers. Give me some of the research that Eugene Shen's department put together on what Kingsbury's done for young passers. You know, suggest that he was good for Mahomes. And I, I wanted to hear more of that. I, it's nice for Quinn to say I didn't like playing against him. To me, that just feels like a coach saying words, you know. Yeah. Uh, they, they went and got Kingsbury. Kingsbury's a big name. Uh, he is a guy that, Having been a head coach for four years, I think you can trust that he's going to put together a staff. He's got a lot of allies around the league. It's a Dan Quinnish kind of deal. I don't dislike it, but the production, the results, the numbers, they haven't really been there for him, certainly offensively in the NFL. And so I wanted a little bit more on that part of this staff, on why Kingsbury, why he's going to be great, Mm -hmm. why they're so confident. But let's get to the calls. 800-636-1067. Let's go to Charles in Capitol Heights to get us started on Grant and Danny. What's up, Charles? How are you? What's going on, fellas? Hey, um, I got to get. I got two points. I got to get this off my chest first. I just got on ride. Um, my analogy, um, Grant, you're Dan Quinn. Danny, you Ben Johnson me the other night. Uh-oh. I did not get to see you. I got to put you <laughs> with, with Grant. <laughs> but you Ben Johnson me. I walked from my seat to the stage, and you were gone. Well, if no. I may. Okay. Come on, the, show, the show was over for more than three seconds. Yeah. So if you thought that Danny was still going to be sitting there by the time you got to the stage, you don't know Danny very well. It's a green room before the show, and it's home after the show. 
So you, if you wanted to meet Danny, you better have walked up on that stage and taken a picture with him mid-show. Charles, I'm sorry. I, I, I was following the crowd of people off the stage. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. That was the theme of the entire night, by the way. I literally did not know what I was supposed to do. Uh, and that was that was the feeling I had. Playing right now, so he should still be. <laughs> I thought you meant that you were. I thought you meant you were taking a flight to go see Danny, and he texted you and said he's not going to be there when you I get there. I won't be there, and you'll find out on Twitter. I know how they felt when 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 they couldn't get in up. That's hilarious. That's great. <laughs> Guys, but um, I'm cool with the Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, he the one who recruited Mahomes. He he started working with him. Mahomes had the luxury of sitting out some before he actually played to actually see how the game is being played. But he had he had uh, Manziel, so he's good with working, and I'm interested in seeing how he called plays. The enemy messed himself up, not running the ball and having uh, his way or no way philosophy. So I'm just so, but I just hope next time I get to take a picture with. Oh my God! So. <laughs> Thanks, it, buddy. Thanks, appreciate man. the so call. In terms of that, of, the, of of running or not, I mean, I know Grant. We, we'll we'll do this until the cows come home or, or otherwise. I I'm not one of these people that cares about how. I know that there are certain folks that cover football or that talk about football that believe it has to be a certain way. I'm not one of them. If Cliff Kingsbury has the number three offense in the sport and doesn't run it, quote unquote, enough for some people, they can pound sand. If the offense stinks and they run it a ton. The people that yelled about run the ball, they can pound sand too. The only thing that matters to me is they're consistently able to move the football, score points, take advantage of playmakers, find good matchups, etc. The best matchup might be smashing it down someone's throat because you catch them in nickel and you're in, and you're in your, uh, your 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 base two tight end offense or whatever. Whatever you got to do to be effective, and he's been effective at times, and then that's worn off as seasons have gone. I, I need that to be primary, less so than play tight. Yeah, I think it goes without saying. Whatever works, do it, right? But you've got to find a plan to get there. And I think the reason people have opinions on the way to operate offensively is you know, there are pretty proven paths in this era that make it more easy. I don't have any problem with Kingsbury's philosophies or concepts or anything like that. You know, The, the question I have is why weren't those Arizona offenses better? Why did they never rank inside the top 14? He was there for four years. I mean, that, that is, that's tough for me. Um, what I do like is all three of your options are wide open in terms of the quarterbacks that he has experience working with. Kyler Murray's one of the great dual threats we've seen. Ran for 800 yards a couple years ago. Jaden Daniels, check. Uh, in the case of Mahomes, right, that's as Caleb Williams-ish from a gameplay standpoint as you're going to get. But on top of that experience... Caleb Williams and Cliff Kingsbury literally worked together at USC last season. In fact, when Kingsbury got the job last night, Caleb Williams was one of the first people to publicly congratulate him on Instagram. I like to say he took out an ad on Instagram <laughs> to say, way to go, coach. And everyone took that to mean that obviously he wants to play in Washington and that the commanders are going to trade up. But it, it certainly keeps that option open for you and greases those skids. I mean, Williams, we don't know what of the rumors about him have been true and which aren't. But it seems like there's a little bit of some high maintenance. I want this situation only if this happens. Rumors floating around. And if Kingsbury's here, it would make it 
all the more likely in his home backyard in the D.C. area, in the DMV, that he might want to come here. So that keeps that option open. And then specific to Drake May, he's been in the air raid type offense under Phil Longo at North Carolina, who was the play caller before this season. Uh, He's got, I would think, his bearings down in a Cliff Kingsbury-esque passing offense. Now, maybe after the Kyler Murray experience, his preference is, I think we got to go with a big-bodied, pocket-passing athlete who can make plays when need be, but who can win from between the tackles. And maybe that'll be what he advises. But I do like that he has, like, you know, a director who's directed comedy, drama. He has dabbled, man, and he's Mm -hmm. seen a little bit of everything in terms of the types of quarterbacks he's worked with. I think that's really valuable. I think that's a smart point. He's the Cohen brothers. You know what I mean? A little, a little bit of everything, right? They've, they've done all the genres. I, I think that's sharp. Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 listen, the intrigue is going to be inevitable when it comes to him and Caleb Williams. I, I just glanced to my right. They're doing that on FS1 like two seconds ago, right? It was, it, is it now possible that Washington trades up? I mean, that, that's not going anywhere. Remember, though, everybody thought Dan Quinn was going to Seattle right away. Yep. Everybody thought, including me, and for good reason, that Ben Johnson was coming to Washington, D.C. for a while. Turns out that there was a either a change of heart or an issue somewhere along the way, and, and he decided he's staying in Detroit. But the first obvious immediate blush reaction of the mainstream is not always what happens. But you're right. That is going to be the big story out of the hire of Kingsbury is that the commanders are going up to get Caleb Williams. Let's go to Vince and Akakik on Grant and Danny. What's up, Vince? What's up, guys? Hey, buddy. So real quick, before we go go football, um, I was a little disappointed that the day that y'all broke the news about the, the show uh, this past Friday, I had already got tickets for a date night for me and the wife to uh, jump into a genre that Danny knows well, a comedy show. Who'd you see? Um, had I had already had date night tickets. Because, you know, got to keep the wife happy. Totally. Me and Vic would have definitely been there to uh, see the show. So I, I hope y'all had a good time, all that being said. It was fun. Yeah, um, it was great, dude. Who, who'd you go see? Uh, Ali Sadiq. Oh, he's hilarious. He is awesome. Yeah, I worked with him years he, ago. That's He's great. Yeah, he he, he, he was he was definitely worth the uh, the, the, the price of admission. Uh, be quick um, for us, buddy. We got about 30 seconds here. What do you got? Okay, real quick. I wasn't sure about the Dan Quinn hire, but after hearing the press conference, I'm I'm a lot more sold. Uh, everything else, we're gonna have to wait and see. The scarf being a Redskins fan, uh, Commanders fan for so long is still very much prevalent, but I'm optimistic. Appreciate, Appreciate you, bro. You, Thank you. Uh, I, I want to hear whether or not that was the case. It certainly seemed that way, just via social media and online with the people I was interacting with. Did today's press conference make you feel any better? And did you come out of it feeling differently? Because a lot of people are sucker for the introductory presser. I know I am. And an hour of a guy who is able to spin a yarn, a lot of times can make you feel pretty good about the way things are trending. Grant and Danny on the fan. Blackout curtains are a really good thing, Danny, in Las Vegas. You need those. I'm staying at a hotel just on top of uh, Fremont Street, which is like the most lit up street I've ever seen in my life. 
And I got to tell you, man, I was like, ah, oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just leave the curtains open a little bit. It won't be that big of a deal. About midway through the night, I'm like, hardest pass ever. Blinded by the light, dude. It doesn't shut down. It's so always, loud. Yeah. So bright. And I went down to the casino this morning. Just I did get over here. I was trying to get over here by 9. It's like a maze at Mandalay Bay. So I was downstairs at my hotel in the casino at like, I don't know, 7.15 in the morning on a Monday. You wouldn't have known the difference between that and 8 p.m. on a Friday night. Yep. Like it was just business as usual. It's crazy. Every time I've been, the whole point of the city is to lose track of time. They, they, don't, they don't want you knowing what time it is. I mean, you, they can't stop you from wearing watches or, like, having a cell phone or whatever. But there's no clocks in the casino. They don't want you to sit, oh, I've been gambling for too long. They want you seated and putting that money down uh, on various hands of pie gal or blackjack or craps or, or, or otherwise. It's, but that city does not rest. It is a 24-hour light and, and buzzer fest. It's amazing. I don't feel better about Dan Quinn after the press conference. I say that while acknowledging I thought the press conference was excellent. But I think this is something that he does well. I think he's a smart, uh, a sharp guy and a smart guy. I think he's a relationship builder. I think you know, he is popular with players and coaches and the media alike because he's a dude. Like He's the kind of guy everyone knows these people. You hang out with him a couple of times, and you feel like you're their best friend. Or you just He's got that thing politicians would kill for, right, where you want to have a, a soda or a beer mm-hmm. with Dan Quinn. I expected today to go very well. The things I, I like and I feel good about are the pairing between he and Peters, as I've mentioned quite a bit. And I do think that bringing over Joe Witt Jr., it further strengthens the opportunity Washington had to really make the Cowboys pay for losing a couple of staffers. I mean, you know this as well as I do. Joe Witt Jr. was going to take over as their defensive coordinator. That's right. Not anymore, my friend. He's calling the defensive plays here. Mm -mm. So you've lost Quinn. You've lost your secondary coach. Two DBs in Dallas have led the NFL in interceptions the last three seasons. An all-pro, three Pro Bowls. He's done a really good job. So now they're interviewing Ron Rivera. No, they're interviewing Mike Zimmer for that D.C. job. And it's a lame-duck D.C. job. It's kind of the Biennemi situation where, minus a sale, I don't think Jerry Jones is selling. You may know more than I do on that. But. (laughs) You've got a head coach in McCarthy going into a year where if they don't make a deep playoff run, there is no chance he's back. So if you're a coordinator with McCarthy going into the final year of his deal, do you really want to hitch your wagon to him? They might have a hard time finding a great option. It might take Rivera desperate to try to hop back in. It's going to be a retread Randy for that job. Exactly. Yeah, someone that's trying to claw their way back in. So, you know, you you take your shot where you can get it because you can be very quickly off of everybody's lips in in perpetuity again. Once you're you're out for a year – or more going through the cycle, don't get any interviews, don't get any look, you know, you're doing weekly radio spots with people. You know what I mean? It, it, that's kind of where, where it boils to, right? So, yeah, I like the idea of weakening Dallas uh, an awful lot. That is that is exciting to me. What did you make of Peters talking about them seeing eye to eye and seemingly agreeing on, you know, what they're looking for? He said, it, I don't mean that from a scheme standpoint, mm-hmm. but the players that they like, because I kind of thought, as much as I love Peters, you know they're looking for these explosive, you know, violent, angry, fast players. Well, who isn't? Right, they're you know, the what? NFL football team that wants fast, strong yeah. guys. <laughs> so you want your team to look like the 49ers. Me too. So does, so does 31 other organizations. I didn't know what to make of that, really. Yeah, that's one of those. You know, I, I always do this joke, but not not on stage. But the, kind of the, the bit is the new defensive guys being like, we're going to be aggressive. Show me the first defensive guy newly hired's going. Can't wait to be passive. 
we want to back off and give up ground. We want to we want to have the offense dictate to us and want to make sure that they feel comfortable. No one's ever said that. That's one of those opening press conference thing you say. I don't begrudge it, but it you know I I kind of went oh I know that one. That's one of those uh, Mad Libs semantics here. But Quinn says he won't use the word rebuild. There he said recalibrating, but that was a pretty clear separation of GM and head coach for you. Where I love that when Ron Rivera takes over running the whole building. He quite literally said this is a five-year plan. Roster right? building, okay. We, we, it's going to take time. We need people to be patient, but this is going to take a, a while, right? That is the opposite of what Dan Quinn said today. He didn't promise anything next year, but he pretty clearly said we're aggressively going to try to turn this thing around, and he said I will never use the word rebuild. Yeah, coaches don't rebuild. Players don't rebuild. Front offices do. Adam Peters rebuilds. Dan Quinn coaches everybody to the maximum. He's not sitting there going, if I coach this guy at 64%, we might lose one more game, get a better draft pick next year. That's not the metric how you're judged. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You coach your bag off, and that's that. that that's all you have to worry about. I love that. We've got some of the best of the Dan Quinn press conference coming your way right at the top of the hour here on Grant and Danny. We promised you earlier in the show, though, that we'd be giving away Caps tickets to the Josh Harris Bowl against the Devils February 20th. So let's give away the first pair at 800-636-1067. Right now, caller number 10. You're going to see the Caps and the Devils Tuesday. The 20th at Capital One Arena. Tickets are on sale now. For tickets and more event information, go to thefandc.com. We'll be giving these away all week. So if you want to win tickets to the Caps, you'll have another chance to do so tomorrow. Next on Grant and Danny, that Dan Quinn press conference, some of the moments that we think you need to have heard right here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 